All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, sitting here tonight with Matt Herkstroder. Good to finally round you back up, Matt. Yep. Yeah, we're <laughs> been playing tag a little bit lately. Yeah, you. I mean, you had a busy fall this year, and I mean, pretty much all of us go MIA during hunting season. But, uh, but yeah, no time was, flies, man. It's already almost December. Oh, it does. I'm actually surprised <laughs> that it's went this quick. Yeah. I think every year it goes quicker and quicker. The older you get, that's what happens. That's what it seems like, and it scares me, man. I mean, you are you got a little bit on me. I, but I turned 40 this year. I turned 33, so it's... Yep. Jeez, and already watching my kids grow, you know, it's just nuts. Yep. Well, that's uh, my, my kids. I don't, I don't have too much longer, and they're going to be out of the house, so I know it'll be here that's, before I know it. That's crazy, because I've got like a... A ten, an 11 month old and a two year old, almost three. My wife and I were just talking the other night about, um, <laughs> like the different phases, like you grow up and then you're on your own. You can do whatever you want. Then you have little kids and you're like a kid again. You're going to bed at seven 30, you're, you know, getting up and then, then your kids get a little older and you get a little bit more freedom again. Yep. And like, re, you know, it's like you get to relive your childhood all over again. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm starting to get that freedom again a yeah. little bit at this point. You know, they, they're they beyond the, they can pretty much take care of themselves. So, yeah, I just can't, um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to what it'll be like to not having to change diapers all the time and bring all sort of supplies <laughs> with you. And <laughs> Well, that, that won't change because it'll just be other stuff. You'll, yeah. You'll, you'll end up bringing rain gear, tons of food, because I'll eat you out of house and home. That's <laughs> extra, where I'm at anymore. Extra clothes. Extra clothes, especially with your, uh, you know, a, a girl, my my daughter, of course, they got to bring four pairs of clothes when they go on a camping trip. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I can go for two weeks with one pair of clothes, and they got four or five for two or three change. days. Oh, yeah. It's... Yeah, so... I don't know. That's right. It's all, it's all worth it though. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it's fun. But needless to say, good to catch up with you. And I, uh, you know, I don't know. We don't don't really have much of an agenda for this episode aside from I figured this would be a good one to do to do the our Q and A episode, which is why um, if you're watching on here, um, trying this <laughs> this Instagram <laughs> live, getting into the 21st century. But uh, um, <clears throat> Matt knows as much about everything or more than I do. So I figured you'd be a good uh, one to, I don't know about that, but rope into doing this, doing this Q and a, I can answer what I can, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So we'll try to not have it complete, be a complete train wreck. Sounds good to me. But, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, but wait, before we get into this too much, um, how'd you, how'd your fall hunt seasons go? Cause I really haven't, I don't think I've seen you since. no, since well, I think sheep I, season, yeah, maybe. I think I we met, we we hooked up once over here, but we just talked for a bit, I think, and no hunting went pretty good. It was a pretty good year. I um, I did really good with bears this year. Um, moose hunting kind of fell apart on me. I had some technical issues, and not to make excuses, but didn't get a moose. Well, from what you, I don't know. I think told. that was the time we talked. Yeah, but. yeah, that's right. And I have, I, I did get some feedback on that too. Oh, let's but, lay it out there. So, <clears throat> well, anyway, so 
I ended up uh, hunting moose, and uh, without making too long of a story out of it, I had some issues with my, with my rangefinder. Um, I ended up running into a guy, and it, we got to talking, and I I I follow him on Instagram, so mm-hmm. we got to talking, and and uh, pretty well known in the uh, yeah, archery he, community. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Anyway, he. Uh, we got to we we had lunch together and we were kind of hanging out and talking a little bit and um he we started sharing stories and they hadn't they hadn't seen any moose yet and um i had ended up getting some shots on a moose when i say shots i shot three times at this bull yeah and um i i was questioning that something was going wrong but i wasn't sure what it was and I, I typically, I don't like to blame my equipment on, you know, I, I'll blame myself before I'll blame my equipment, mm-hmm. at least until I can work out that, um, that there's that a major, it, that there is, a, that there's something going on. Um, well, after missing this bull, I had my son with me. Um, he's 12 and, uh, he, he couldn't believe that I missed this moose. So the following day, uh, we tried to go back and find the bull, um, had no no luck there so i ended up shooting my bow and because i wanted to confirm that i was i was on as much as i could be and i didn't find any issues with my bow um so fast forward a little bit i ended up meeting this guy we i shared a story with him and he asked what rangefinder i was using and i told him and he kind of it was a sig <laughs> yeah and i you know i researched but this is the first rangefinder I've bought in 20 years. Yeah. I've had a Bushnell Yardage Pro that I've been using for 20 years. Really milking the life I, out of that I one. I <laughs> have, and it still works. Actually, I gave it to my son. Though the drawback to it was the batteries didn't last in it no more. You'd have to change the battery like every two days. Yeah. Well, when I had one, it was it would have a hard time unless you had didn't give very consistent feedback or you had to hit the right type of reflective surface yeah and I, I i did find with that that if you had in any inconsistency in like i don't want to say air density but like if there was fog rain anything like mm-hmm. that you might as well forget it yeah. even close um but i had pretty good luck with it and you know i i don't know i i like to get use out of my gear and i finally decided that i want to get a new rangefinder so i got this sig and I researched it and I, the stuff that I found, there was really, I didn't find any negative things about it. Well, I ended up buying it. It, the first, I actually had it for about a year Mm -hmm. up till this moose season. Um, but I didn't really get to use it a lot last fall. I had some issues when I was out hunting. I mean, I shot, obviously I shot with my bow and, and things and I did have some issues with it and i kind of learned to just deal with them one of the issues i was having was on dark targets it wouldn't it didn't want to read um and i know that can be a problem with some other rangefinders. i found that if i put it in scan mode off the target and then scanned into the target that it would give me a reading so that's kind of what i was doing huh. um and i was getting by with that so anyway i'm gonna kind of speed this up a little bit come to find out there was supposedly there was issues with this rangefinder um so when i got back from hunting 
I went out in my yard and I measured with a hundred foot tape measure, 20, 30, and 40 yards. And I went out with my range finder and I ranged at each one of those distances from my target. And it was pretty, it was spot on. Yeah. And I shot my bow at each one of those distances and it was on the money. So I decided from what I had been told from the guy that I ran into beyond about 50 yards, there was, is where the issue started to develop. So, and the shot at the moose was beyond 50 yards. So I went out and guessed what I thought was 70 yards, hit my range finder on the target. It wouldn't, wouldn't give me a reading. So I went to the garage. I got some duct tape. I stuck a piece of duct tape on there. It gave me a reading and it said 69.9 yards. And I was like, okay. Um, or no, it said 74.9 yards. Yeah. So I was off about five yards on my guess. And so I went ahead and I dialed my sight to 75 yards and I shot a group with three arrows. And, you know, at that distance, supposedly 75 yards, my arrows grouped pretty well, and but they were a, a little over a foot high. And I thought, well, am I anchoring wrong or something going on? Yeah. And I didn't really think so because uh, I shoot just about every day. Right now, I haven't been shooting every day, but gearing up for hunting season and stuff, I'm out shooting oh, every yeah. day. I was, I felt consistent with my form. I didn't think it was a form issue. Mm-hmm. So I went and pulled my arrows. I shot three more arrows, had the exact same results. So this time I measured it with the t- with the, my tape measure. Had my son come out and help me measure it out because it only went to 100 foot. So I had to keep adding on. Anyway, it come out to being actually 69 yards. True, like true distance. Five or six yards off. So it was five about five yards off. And I was like, well, that proves to me and what he's telling me that's consistent with what I'm what I'm hearing. Yeah. So I I kind of messed around a little bit with distances again and I was beyond 50 yards I was getting very similar results, but sometimes it was actually more, sometimes it was a little less. Yeah. So it wasn't consistent. And how I look at it, I can deal with the inconsistency, but it has to be the same the same inconsistency. In, yeah, because I'm sighting my bow in what with what my rangefinder tells mm-hmm. me, you know, I had already and and all this stuff is starting to add up now. You know, I shot low this spring on a grizzly bear. It was a fifty yard shot, and I shot under this grizzly bear, and I just I couldn't believe that I shot under it. Now I'm kind of wondering, well, was it was it my rangefinder giving me the yeah a, a messed up yardage and i'm shooting pretty heavy arrows that's the other downfall and that's why i'm relying on my rangefinder so you much you got to be pretty dialed right yeah. into the exact range and i feel like i'm i'm pretty accurate judge a distance 250 yards mm-hmm. beyond that it, it could, i'm going to have some variance yeah and that's when i really want my rangefinder to be accurate yeah that's why you buy the thing right? <laughs> exactly and so i was getting a little frustrated over that um i'd shot over a ram and it was a it was a it was stretching it for what I would want to shoot um, at a at distance. I'll just say it was eighty yards, um, eighty three yards according to the rangefinder. But I actually shot over the ram. Um, and I know people. I'm I'm not saying I'm perfect either. Uh, and I'm not. I can't blame the rangefinder on shooting over the ram 
or the grizzly bear, but it seems like all this stuff started adding up. Yeah, to where you, it was you like can't go back in time and and pace it out, you know. Yeah, exactly. But, but so, it makes you wonder, and that's almost uh, man. It seems like that's almost as bad as anything is just the wondering. Yeah, like the, what happened now? Now my <laughs> moose, the moose, I guarantee you was a rangefinder. It was pretty low light whenever I shot at the moose. I mean, we were right at the at dark. It was it was it was about eighty yards as well. We tried to cut it off and get a little closer. That was as close as I ended up getting. We got there a little late from where we spotted the bull to where he was going to cross to this opening. But I had him in the open, no wind, and it's a freaking moose. I mean, yeah. the target is huge. I mean, Well, you got a two foot by two foot. Yeah. It's dead. It, Quick kill zone. <laughs> and, and I shoot at 80 mm-hmm. quite a bit. I mean, I'll practice out further. And I, I, 80 is kind of my cutoff for stuff. Yeah. Um. And if I can get closer, I will. Mm-hmm. But um, the first shot on that moose, I shot, it was like a foot underneath it. I mean, my my windage was right on. Yeah. Elevation was way off. And I'm just like, man. And the bull kind of ran. He got over into some, some brush, um, short brush. And I did a cow call and I tried to move in closer and I got to what my rangefinder told me was 60 yards. I readjusted my sight again and I shot and the bull is look, he's broadside and he's got his head turned. He's looking at me and he's probably a 56, 57 inch bull. I mean, he's a respectable bull. Yeah. And I shot and I shot a foot over top of his back. Windage is exactly the same again, but the elevation was off. Now it's high. And I actually bounced an arrow off his antler because when he was looking at me, his antler was over his back, yeah. you know. And my son, he was videoing this. And, <laughs> and you're like, shut the camera yeah, off. Yeah, shut the yeah. camera off. Uh, and, uh, well, I ended up getting a, a third shot at him. And I didn't even arrange him on that shot. I, I guessed it at 60 yards again. Same, almost same result, shot over his back. Well, the following day, we went back. When we went back to that spot in the morning to see if we could find that bull, um, I had marked where I had, where the bull, you could see where the bull had walked, where his tracks mm-hmm. were. Well, where I had shot from, we had marked it and I rearranged it the next day in the daylight. I had my son go out and stand where the bull crossed. And, you know, I'm going to say there could have been some, a few yards of variance here. Yeah. But when I ranged it, it told me 125 yards. Huh. And I'm like, that's drastic. Like oh yeah, way dry, and that's why I shot under him. So it seems like through you know you're in your messing around with it when you got back home, it was not any kind of consistent error. No, and I could live with a consistent error, and I, yeah. that's what I told the guy when I contacted Sig. Um, I will say they told me they sent me a shipping label. They said send it back. Um, I there was a few things I was a little frustrated with um, when talking to them. Um, they kind of denied that they had any issues with with the rangefinders, which I was contacted the uh, last week. They're shipping me out a new rangefinder. Apparently, they found nothing wrong with my old one, but they are going to send me a new one. Hmm. Well, I there's something wrong with it. I guarantee you. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. So I will say they at least I'm getting a new rangefinder. Yeah. Um. And I am going to test it. Yeah. And I told him that. 
Oh, because I, I feel like I shouldn't have to. I should be able to count on this stuff to work. Yeah. But I'm going to test it. Oh, yeah. You dump that kind of money into <clears throat> some of these products. Like, it doesn't do you any good. Yeah. If it, 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 it doesn't, you know. And that was and, and that's what I've always said. Warranties, too, are great. Um, But a warranty doesn't fix the problem in the field. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, to me... And this rangefinder is not some high-end rangefinder. Mm-hmm. I get that, you know, but I'm also not using it for long-range rifle shooting. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not. I'm using it for bow hunting, you know. And that was one of the arguments I had with the guy. I thought their their on their website it said, um, I think I said it was plus or minus a yard or something like that yeah. for accuracy. You know, yeah. they all give us some kind of an accuracy yeah. rating. On a reflective target or a non-reflective, whatever, um, and I I understand that because he kept bringing that up, and I I was just like, it, that's fine. But what I'm saying, uh, what I was trying to explain to him was, it's not it's not inconsistent, the same every time, mm-hmm. and that does make a difference. Well, then when we get to looking at the the website, it actually says a tenth of a yard, so it's oh, even less. Yeah. At 100 yards or, or less, you know, mm-hmm. beyond 100, it could be more than that as far as inaccuracy. And I'm like, five yards and a tenth of a yard, there's a big difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> big difference. <laughs> and he, 50 times the difference. I was just kind of, I mean, I was trying to be polite about it, but I was also a little irritated, you know, because I just expect the stuff to work. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> and anyway... Enough griping about that. I did, but they are sending me a new rangefinder. We'll and we'll see how that works out. But anyway, yeah, you have to let me know. Yeah, I will. And I don't know if other people's had issues like that. Um, what model was it? So it wasn't the high end. No, it was. It was. I think it was. It was only two ninety nine. It was three hundred bucks. Oh, gotcha. I think it was the twelve fifty, which they don't make anymore. Oh, so they're sending me the. I think he said it's the twelve hundred. Huh. Which is the value the of it? The, yeah, it's the it's the equivalent, but the value of it is less than what I paid. But whatever, I got a year out of the other one. Yeah, and I'm I just yeah. To be honest with you, I don't even know if I'm going to keep using it because I'm I've kind of lost my confidence in Gets the thing. Your, I may end up just going and buying something else. Yeah, you know I I don't know B- because of that. You know when oh, I first yeah, got but, it, the little bit I used it, I thought it worked great, and then it just seemed like all of a sudden. Yeah, I started it, having these problems, and you having know? that doubt is a is well, a major a, thing. It's a major factor, you know. That's with anything. You got, I mean, whether it's your bow shooting or rifle shooting, you got to have some confidence in in your equipment and your shooting abilities. You know, yeah. otherwise you'll do like I did when I first started bow hunting, always second guessing myself and never would take a shot. Yeah, you know, having a moose at forty yards and not taking a shot. Yeah. Because, oh, I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a point, especially if you know that you're accurate at those di- at that distance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's also, there, you know, and there's a difference between just kind of spraying and praying, slinging, thinking, oh, I think I can make that shot to being like, you know, I know I can make that shot and missing because of some error that you, like, you're just shocked that it happened, you know. That, yeah. That's those are two totally different things. Yeah. Yep, they are. 
But uh, anyway, I guess we could might as well. We want to dive into these. Uh, yeah, we better get into the questions because it'll be two hours later. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, they just they're in no particular order, but uh, got quite a few of them and kind of random across the across the board topics. Um, this one, and I'm not including any names or anything. I just kind of cut pasted them and uh, see. Uh, judging sheep's a big one for me. What if? What are some of the telltale signs that it's an old mature ram? Any tips on counting annuli? And what are some of the things you see when you're miles away and you can't see for sure for full curl or age that tells you you need to get a closer look? What do you? Th- How about you, Matt? Uh, well, there's a lot of things there. Yeah, um, that's <laughs> also, the first thing, if I see a ram far away, um, and I guess this is a little kind of subjective a little bit, but typically far away, you're not always going to see the tips of the horns, depending how far away it is, yeah. but you're not always going to see the tips of the horns. So to me, judging if it's full curl or not, unless the thing is just gigantic, I mean, sometimes when you see a large sheep, you know it's a large sheep. Yeah. Um even a lot of large sheep that you see from a long ways away, you don't see the tips, though. No, but you, you don't. Yeah. But you can tell. I think body size has a little bit to do with that. I've seen some pretty big bodied rams that were old, mature, like double broom rams. And that's another that kind of answers that. I mean, an old ram not always is going to be broomed, but a lot of times they will be. I think that's also depending on the area you're hunting. Yeah. I guess for me, you know, it's working backwards through this uh, – at a long distance, you know, multiple miles, what I look for, A, you know, you can see you can see horns. If it's a ram of any size, you can see horns. And then how thick is that horn at the half curl? You know, basically back behind his head, how thick is it? And a lot of those rams, they'll sometimes look like they're decapitated if they're heavy yeah. from a long ways away because you, you can... It's all, you know, maybe kind of blurry or fuzzy from so far away, but you can see a break between their body. You can definitely see horn all the way through their neck. That's what I was going to say. Look for that drop, kind of the drop of the horn. Yeah. Um, that's a first, that, that is, yeah. that's a good thing to look yeah. at. And it's, it kind of reminds me, you know, these rams I was looking at this year on my hunt from, I think it was four miles and your light conditions and all this play into it, but, um, you know, sometimes, you know, your lighter mirage, you just, you can see farther or shorter, but yep. from four miles, you know, looking at these rams, it's, I could definitely see the biggest one in the bunch. I'll first look and see how thick they are at three quarter or at half curl. And then, you know, if they look yeah pretty heavy, you know, comparable to their bases at three quarter, half curl. All right. Then follow it down. And if I can still see significant horn at three quarter curl from three, four or five miles away, it's worth getting closer. It's worth a closer look, you know, Rams, a lot of times a Ram that's, you know, sub legal or barely full curl. You can hardly see horn at three quarter curl from that far away. And you absolutely can't see the tips. Yeah. And that's what I think. Um, in certain areas, you know, some of these sheep have different genetic, uh, looks to them i guess oh for sure depending on where you're at you know and some of these areas you just aren't gonna find i've hunted a couple areas that are that are like that where you're just not gonna find 
you might find a ram that's legal by age, but to find something that's, he may not even be full curl. Yeah. I mean, it was like the one I got with the bow a few years ago. I mean, yeah. I was counting rings on that thing and it don't make full curl. Yeah. It's short of full curl, you know, and that particular spot, there's a lot of those sheep mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't, it, going in there, I don't expect to find some ram that I just know without a doubt, oh yeah, it's full curl. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Really, and when you, when you think about it, even over all the spots I've, <clears throat> places I've hunted, the percentage of rams that you just look at from a mile away, oh yeah, he's full curl, is very, very minuscule. Yeah, it's very few. Um, you know, and uh, I guess, you know, kind of on, on counting rings, like you mentioned, because there are a certain number of those sheep that like will never, never grow to full curl, yep. just their configuration. Um I would say don't don't count, count rings. rings. <laughs> you know, I've done it, and under the right circumstances, it can be pretty accurate. But man, you got to be close. You got to be close and yeah. have good light, and just there. You know, looking around at these sheep in the office, like each one of them, their rings look different. Yeah, they're all unique to themselves, really. But I would say if you're going to, if you're gonna. It's not a bad idea to practice when you're evaluating rams, you know, guessing ages and stuff on them. Look at a ton of pictures, and if you can get your hands on as many sheep horns as you can, look at the study the growth patterns of those rings. If if that makes sense, like you know, like the spacing. All right, what does it, yeah? That- what does the spacing between one and two, or two and three, or three and four look like? Because it's almost it's very similar on almost every sheep. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking at a sheep in the field, you really have to count on that their their rings are going to be where they're supposed to be. Sometimes you get around with a short ear, but, man, they're almost always right where they're supposed to be. So you kind of got to count. Yeah. You know, like that ram you killed with your bow. You know, was a tr- probably, it was a tricky one. He looked, you know. Oh, if, I've if had. The average person was like, oh, that's a. 18-year-old yeah, right now. Yeah, well, I've had people comment on that picture and go, man, that thing's like 15. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, Fish and Game actually only put it at 9. Um, actually, no, I take that back. They put it at 8. I, I had judged it at 9, possibly 10, when I was counting the rings. Yeah. But I definitely wanted to be on the safe side. Yeah. They put in their notes, you know. He was like, oh, it's 8, possibility, it could be 9. He actually had a hard time. Yeah, you know, putting a number on it. Yeah, that was Joe Want was down there doing that, and he looked at that thing. I f- I felt bad because there was a line of guys getting horn sealed, and yeah, I'm in there for like 45 minutes, you know. And <laughs> he man, he was chalking lines and counting and mark- taking lines off. Yeah. It took him a while, you know. And he's like, "You counted rings on this thing, oh, huh?" And man. I said, "Well, that was the first sheep I've ever counted rings and actually shot, yeah, because of it, you know. But I was also close to it, so yeah. Anyway." Let's see. Um, telltale signs that it's an old mature ram. I think we kind of gone over that. I mean, a big mature ram body wise, a lot of times they have that pot belly. Yeah. They remind you know. me of a cow. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's. But it's like a big old stretched out belly. Yeah. They're thick. They yeah. look thick. Um, and, but really, to, to get that, the, that feel, you really have to spend some time 
looking at looking other sheep. at other sheep and big and big mature rams next to smaller rams to really start getting the feel you know after years and years of it you can see a sheep through the binos and be like man that body wise or the way they walk yep you know it it really I, I don't know that I can do it justice explaining it aside from you just have to spend time looking at sheep. Yeah, and the other thing you got to consider too is the time of year you're hunting those sheep because later in the year when their hair starts to thicken up a little bit, their bodies are going to look larger than they do August 10th. Oh, yeah. You know, and I mean, I prefer that late late looking sheep, but a lot of guys aren't in the mountains in September hunting them, you know, but... um but there is a difference just between August and September, you know? Yeah. And obviously I think mountain range, that's going to have something to do with it because of the temperatures. But, um, so I would say body size is not something you can go off of a hundred percent. No. But, but it is, an it, it's a, it's an indicator or a consideration, you know, to look at. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, yeah. Body size, like my, the Ram I killed September 10th or 11th, whatever it was, that thing, you know, some of these like August, like the sheep I killed this year, August tenth, hairs inch and a half long, maybe. Man, the cape on that September ram is literally like three and a half inches long. Yeah. I mean, if you look, and that's the thing, if you look at pictures, look at pictures of sheep in the winter time that people have taken. Yeah. Versus a sheep during just hunting season. Yeah. You know, I mean, but it can be that drastic of a difference between August and September, yeah. like you're saying, you know. Um, and don't, you know, as, as in going back to ring counting, a lot of times you can't see the lowest ring, you know, some guys will be like, ah, well, if I, if I can see seven, I know there's one, but man, don't shoot one based on that. Yeah. Cause you know, think of that the hair is covering it up. Cause some, sometimes a later season one, it will be covered up. Sometimes it won't. You just, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but that that ring is that year's growth. So it's not a full year anyway, no, really. So it's, I guess what I, what you I know what I'm saying? So it's not going to be referring as, to is the winter, you know, they will oh, okay. have growth that's covered up, but that, that winter actual, the annuli ring. Okay. I see what you're saying. Um, which is funny. I've noticed that in recent years, animals in general, everyone, including myself, sometimes started calling, you know, adding the half year. Yeah. <laughs> I do the yeah. same thing. I I don't know. That's well, kind of what well, I was. He's not nine. He's nine and a half. That's kind of why I was <laughs> implying that a little bit, I guess. But you know, I yeah, no, it's it's just the funny little things, naming animals and stuff like that, which I get why some people do that. But anyway, um, which I guess I'll skip this one and I'll go back to this. Now, just go chronological because I'll forget. Sure. Um, <clears throat> this one's quick though. What do you think of the Swarovski twenty sixty by sixty five STS spotting scope? Um, how do you feel about the sixty five millimeter objective? Feel pretty damn good about it. <laughs> I have no idea. Mine's an older Swarovski. No, so that's that's actually this. That's a scope I've been using for quite a few years, and like, yeah, there. You know, you could get an eighty or ninety five millimeter, but sixty five is plenty. Plenty of objective. I use a my uh, I use an eighty, but that's what I ended up buying. And I also it mine's not what is that that newer one the STX or see well 
Are See, they- I mean, I re- and he did. I'll clarify. I said STX, and I'm not. I don't know the whole brands. I assumed he meant STS. I think is the one yeah. I have. Yeah. Mine's the older one, which is not an STS. Because then there's the new ones that are you know are interchangeable. Interchange. Yeah. Mine's not like that. Mine's not like that either. I don't but, even uh, know what model mine is. Then man, I shouldn't even if say. If they're Suaros, <laughs> they're gonna be top of the line. Yeah, I'm happy with mine. <laughs> it's 20 years old and it's worked great. And uh, so let's see. So, and the next question: earlier late season sheep hunting. Depends how tough you are. It really does. <laughs> Depends on what the weather's looking like that fall. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes you have nicer Septembers than August. Well, I I went down that road for a while. I hunted every year in September. Um, but I've went back to hunting August now. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I've had bad weather and I've had good weather during both times. So, I mean, it's just variable. You, d- you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I've had foot and a half of snow in early on the on August 10th. Yep. And then, you know, had sun in September. So, it, you know, all the overall September, you know, once you I guess I'd say early to late season calling August and September, you know, we'll just make that the line, but um September's definitely going to be colder. Um you know, if we can speak in generalizations, it's definitely going to be colder. You could get bad weather in either one. Yep. So, you know, it's kind of really a toss up between the year. Um you are going to have a little bit heavier haired out capes in September. Sometimes it I don't know, it just really depends on the area, I think. Well, and that's what I was going to say, depending on the mountain range you're hunting too is going to have a little bit of you know, sometimes those variability there. Some areas, you know, you'll be able to get have access to sheep that get pushed out of other areas due to snow and weather. Um some areas by September, it's quite is most people are not hunting sheep after September first, and that was my reasoning. Whenever I yeah. was doing it a lot, was for the the heavier fur on the capes, and just because I thought aesthetically it looked better yeah. personally. Um, but I figured uh, less people in the field. Um, that's not always the case, though. Um, I've, I've, I've had where, uh, I think too, that's a little bit depending on the area as well, how many people you may have, but, uh, typically September, you probably will have less people. Yeah, I think for sure. Um, but you know, in some, some areas like, you know, the last, the one I killed in September, it's a pretty heavily hunted, pressured area. And it seemed like by about the two, like, the 10th of September, things were just starting to calm back down. Like they're starting to get back into some sort of routine. You know, I think a lot of August they're, they're getting bumped around and and pressured. So, uh, man, I don't know. I mean, it's really, I've done both and I really like both. I, uh, I, you know, you can't go wrong either way. I don't think. No, I. It's and just, I don't. You are just going to have to deal, plan on dealing with colder temperatures. In September, but you should be prepared for those same temperatures in August. Yeah. So. Yeah. Typically, it, my gear doesn't change from August to September usually. That I bring. Yeah. Because I have been in when it's a foot of snow, freezing cold, 
in August. Yeah. You know, beginning of August. Mm-hmm. And it can't happen. So uh, my gear usually doesn't change. I, I've got my gear dialed and I just keep it that way and just, you know, I use a zero degree sleeping bag for August, September, everything. <laughs> that's even, that's colder than mine. You know, sure. I mean, I just, that's what I just carry it. Yeah. You know, it's just, I deal with it. I, uh, and then there's another question here. Let's see. Plastics or leather boots? I think leather anymore. Um, my brother uses plastic boots. He's been using them for a long time. He's using those Coflax. Coflax. Um, I think people's been getting away from that. Yeah. Um, well, see, the, them Coflax have been around a long time. They have, you know, back. And I don't know. You know, I could. This is could just be speculation, but it. Uh, well, I think early, you know, like in the Tony Russ sheep hunting in Alaska days, you know, the quality of leather boots you could get was not what they are today. No, and I was gonna say that those those plastic boots were designed for mountaineering and ice climbing. And if you look in that realm now today, I don't ice climb, but I kind of look at stuff like that because yeah. a lot of that gear, you can, some of that stuff translates, translates into yeah. hunting. Um, not necessarily climbing or anything, but you know what I mean? But the boots have came so far. You even look at those guys that are ice climbing. A lot of those guys aren't using plastic boots anymore. They're using a leather boot that's got a full shank or a three quarter yeah. shank in it. Because the leather boots have gotten so much better. There's more yeah. companies out there making awesome boots. So just going off, I've never wore the plastic boots, but going off what my brother tells me, they're not that fun to walk in on flat ground. That's what they're, I... They're great on a, on a hill. You know, he still wears them. I mean, he's when he was guiding and doing all that, he wore them all the time and and... He's pretty tough anyway. He just would tough it out and yeah. walk the flat land. Would you say he wore whites on yeah, your Yeah, the first sheep hunt. Yeah. So, but yeah, I the one thing I will say about the plastic boots that is very awesome, I think. So they have a liner in them, kind of like a ski boot would. Um, if you need to cross a creek. You can or pop the liner. You can pop out. the liner out, put your boots on. I mean, they're going to be sloppy on your feet, but you can just cross. Put get your to the dry other side. liner back in. Yep, pour your boot out, put the dry liner back in. I know some guys will just wear their liners in their sleeping bag, too, to yeah. dry them out. Camp which, shoes. Which John Whipple, who went goat hunting with me this spring, uh, he that's what he wore. And I think, I don't know, and I and I say all this never having used Coflax or plastics, but uh, um, I think I can see their merit in very steep country. Yeah. You know. Definitely. Well, that's what they were designed for originally, but I think leather boots nowadays are a good alternative because, because they are better. Yeah. I think you could go across the entire board just with a leather boot and be comfortable across the whole board. More comfortable across the board than you would be across the board with a plastic. Exactly. Yeah. Not that, Um, I mean, I think a plastic would be okay. I mean, if you found the right deal on them and you wanted to try them, I've actually seen some on the Facebook for sale page for 50 bucks. Huh. There was two pair. One, I think, was 75. One was 50. I'm like, that's pretty cheap. I mean, they're $400 boots or something like that, you know? Whether or not somebody got them, didn't like them. You know, you're never going to know unless you try something. Yeah. I just have never, I, for myself, I've always used leather boots. Yeah. 
you know, which I'm due for a new pair this year. I'm going to go Me with too. something new. Me too. What are them fancy things you got on now? These are Salewas. And I did use these this year, but I don't think they're quite as stiff as I like for yeah. uh, for sheep hunting. Um, I've been using Scarpas, mm-hmm. and that's probably what I'm going to end up getting another pair of. Yeah. They don't make the model of mine anymore. They've got a newer, improved, very similar, and that's probably what I'm going to go with. But Yeah, speaking of, uh, do you prefer, uh, in, you know, get, delve more into the boots thing, do you like a more full? Because I've been using those Loa Tibets for years, and I, I, you know, I tried one year, and then goat hunting, I took the Loa Bighorns, which are insulated, and I like the Tibets a lot better. Um, do you prefer like a full leather boot, or do you like? Do you find that those kind of mix of leather and synthetic? It's not a plastic boot. These like Salewas that you're wearing. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like a lot of the uh, the Scarpas and stuff have that. It's, it's like the Scarpas, like I have right now, I think they have the Grand Guru or Druru or something like that. GTX is the replacement for mine. Mine were called the Liscom and I've had them for quite a while and they're, I pretty much wore the soles off of them. Um, but they're all leather. These Salewas is a combination of leather, synthetic. They do have a rubber ran that goes around the outside, but I think these things would be shredded in the rocks personally. Yeah, I I like the all leather, and I'm speaking Scarpa because that's what I'm familiar with. But it's a heavy leather that's got a really nice rubber rand that goes around it. Yeah, and I mean I just I can't complain about them because they've always worked great. They're still waterproof. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's the other thing is waterproof. I won't buy a boot that's not waterproof, yeah. at least for when it's new. I mean, well, and what's available? That's <laughs> why would why would you? That's true. I, you know, of course, the coflax. Well, they're not know, waterproof. The coflax aren't waterproof. Although you, you know, you can yeah, you can drain them and wring out the the liners on them, but you can. Uh, <clears throat> um, you don't. You're not. You know, the toes are plastic, so you're not going to get that like dew soak through. Yeah. Like you will on, you know, on a leather boot. Like my yeah. my boots this year, and they did they did fine. My Tibets, it was like the third or fourth sheep hunt on them. So I mean, I knew it kind of getting to the end of their life. I'm fat, so I wear out boots quick. But uh, you know, and I I tr- I, I this pair I took really good care of, and I treat them every time. And but after a while, man, that Gore, you know, all that working back and forth and getting tore up, that Gore Tex wears out and. <laughs> You know, it's, and it doesn't take long for the wax to, you know, you're walking through up a grass, you know, kind of a, yeah, what would you even, that kind of just the hard, even hard tundra, you know, it's just got moisture everywhere. It's wet, it yeah. just dewy and everything on there. Just yeah. soaks through right away. So, well, and with shoes, I'm very picky with my footwear that I wear every day hunting. I don't know why. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, see, Mom, I'm pretty picky, too. Hey, I got my Crocs that I tried to winterize with duct well, tape, and it that's, didn't work too That's well. kind of what I was going to say, though, was it, do what works for you, because boots, I think, is one of those things that and until you try on boots and see what fits, and I don't think there's an ideal boot until you actually wear something for a while, because... It took me, I mean, I went through a couple different boots before I found something that my feet liked. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was saying before. That's why I'm going to stick with my Scarpa because that's what's fit me. Yeah. What what fits me may not fit somebody else. 
Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Be, it gets to be an expensive game. Yeah, <laughs> ordering can, boots it, to it, try. Out. It can be, and that's just it. It can be expensive. I kind of got fortunate. I only went through, I think, three pair before I finally settled in on a pair that I liked. Um, but I've had, you know, I've tried Garmont boots before. It's a mountaineering boot. Um, didn't fit. Ended up selling them on eBay used. I just, you know, because I did wear them for a while. Yeah. You know, I, I've, and I think everybody. Not everybody, but maybe not nowadays. I know when I first started sheep hunting, a a good sheep hunting boot was a was a uh, Mendel. Men, you oh know? yeah, it's and and I've I bought a rip. pair of those, but I just and I don't think they're that great of a boot personally. All the Cabela's ones wrecked my toes. I still pay for that. But of course, it could have been the like hundred multi. Over hundred pound backpack. <laughs> well, and that's the other the, carrying weight and just hiking too is two different things. Yeah, you oh, know, yeah, for, for sure. sure. Um, let's see. Uh, this one's kind of a little bit different. Um, now, nah, well, I'll do this other sheep one first. Uh, I do a lot of backcountry elk hunting in the lower forty-eight, but I'm trying to get my gear together for Alaska. What would you recommend for a shelter? I run mostly floorless down here. Not sure the best option up there. Um, man, and who was I? Ta- was I talking with Mark about this? I I know there's a lot of guys that use floorless shelters up here, and I think you can get away with it. But I am pretty hesitant to have that be my only my only shelter even even on early season sheep hunt and you know i don't know my thing is like i could probably you could probably get away with it nine times out of ten but i've just been on a few trips where man if i hadn't had a a bathtub floor you know three or four season tent oh it would have been a wreck i agree i've always wondered that same thing um Nothing against those floorless tents. And we're talking sheep sheep, sheep hunting. Sheep hunting. Um, I think there's a time and a place for a lot of this stuff, you know, and and I think having a good, like you say, a three or four se- season tent um, with a floor in it, uh, I don't know. It is a little, maybe it's a little bit more weight, but there's some pretty light tents out there. Yeah. I mean, I that... That MSR one I've been using for the Hubba Hubba, Hubba, Hubba yeah. for years. It's only like three pounds. You yeah, know? and those are great tents. I, I went on a sheep hunt with a buddy of mine, and that's what he used, um, or what we brought. Yeah. He, he had bought a tent for that trip, and that's the first time I'd used one. Yeah. Um, I've used, I won't say I've used. I've been in um, the Hubba Hubba. My brother, he had a Sierra Designs tent. It was a two-man um and it, it was a double wall. Yeah. Had a floor. Extreme. That thing was super lightweight, and that was kind of the reason he bought it, but it was just too small. Hmm. And I want room. Yeah. When I finally broke down to buy a tent for myself, I bought a three-man tent and just carry the extra weight. Yeah. And it's not a ton of extra weight, and I know everything adds, adds up, but I just can't. I've I've it, put one hole in that tent. It's never ripped the guy line out. I've never broke a pole. Um, it's just been a good tent. The yeah. only complaint I have about it is how you get in and out of it. Yeah, it's and, and that's where I've you know I've really liked that MSR one. I and it's the two it's the two man and really you know 
the just the hubba, the one man, you can fit, you know, it, with one guy in your gear, it's pretty tight. By myself, that hubba hubba, the two man, is very comfortable with all my gear inside the tent. And then, you know, when Frank and I have hunted together, I, I have the extra vestibule, the gear shed or whatever. Yep. And that thing, I mean, it gives it a bigger footprint. The gear shed's like, you know, pound or something, a little over a pound, and we just split up the tent. So is your is your total weight, is that three pounds, just the tent, and then another pound or so for the yeah, vestibule? Yeah, yeah, it's like so it's three four, and a half. So it's like under five pounds for the tent and the vestibule. Okay, so and that you could, man, you know, two guys and all your gear comfortably in that, in that tent with the vestibule. And my only gripe with it, if it, if you could say it's a gripe, man, it uh, <clears throat> I've had it fold over two or three times in the wind, in like sixty mile an hour winds, and I ha I know you know it's a simple fix with a trek and pull. I, it hasn't broke a pole or anything, but it's a simple fix with a trek and pull if it's blowing real bad. So for me, that's that's worth the trade off. But the the, the floor's good. I mean. I just like having a floor. You can you can get by, but there's sometimes, man, the end of the freaking day, like the first day packing in, you know, you got your whole camp. It's like there's no freaking good camping spots around here. You end up setting up just on, you know, taller brush or, what, you know, stuff that's wet. And I don't know. It's just worth it to me to have a floor, but I, I won't knock anyone for taking going floorless. If that's the way you want to go, you just better be prepared to be a little more uncomfortable, I think. Well, and from not ever using a floorless shelter, but um, from what I've seen with them, it looks to me like, especially when you have weather, rain, you got to have some kind of decent drainage, you know, so the water is not running under your tent. And what I'm curious about, and maybe somebody can write in about this, if they have used one sheep hunting, if you're in a lot of rain... You know, I th I would think your tent's got to be set up on a a pretty either a I think ideally probably some kind of a mounded spot where the water can run off. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. But how many times do you find that? You don't find that. I mean, most and, times where my tent's set up, I'm never level and flat. Seems like. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, like where I I spent several days camped this year, sheep hunt up almost in a saddle. You know, just down from the top enough to get out of the wind. There's nowhere that you wouldn't walk and it's just like a seep, the whole thing. So I it's mean, all wet anyway. Anywhere within a ways of that, and, you know, you pack up there, it's just like, oh, I don't, I'm not going anywhere. But, you know, if you may have to, if you, if you're running a floorless just to stay out of the water, something, you know, and that can be dependent on the weather, maybe in the same spot. What are the weights on some of these floorless tents, I wonder? Um, I, mean, I think are, are some you, of those, like the Seek, you know, like, you know, the Kafaru tarps, depending on the tarp you want. They're Well, the tarp's pretty light. Pretty but, light, um, but like those Seek teepees, you know, a lot of guys like those teepees, it seems like, the teepee shelters. And I don't, you know. I mean, they can't be, are they sub five pounds, too? I think some of them, like, some of them are very light. Like, that's what I was curious about. You know, about, like a couple pounds lighter, which, what was. Well, see, something you can do, too, like my. I have a Nalo 3 Hilleberg. Yeah. You can use that without the floor. 
you could use just yeah. the fly if you want. I mean, you want to cut weight, yeah. but I weighed the, I weighed it. You're not really saving that much weight. To yeah. me, I was kind of like, because I was going to do that one year. I thought, oh, I'm just going to use a floorless thing. I'll just use the fly. Yeah. Because the poles are set up on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I weighed it. I only, I only saved, I think, about, don't quote me on this, but I think it was only about a half to three quarters of a pound. Yeah, the majority which, of the weight was in the fly, not the tent. Yeah, you which know, for so, the extra protection, it's, I don't know. And that was mind, poles. Like, that was counting yeah. poles, stakes, you know. Yeah. And that is the drawback to that tent that also that I, I've i gotten used to it, and I was a little scared of it at first when I got it, was it's not freestanding. you got to stake it out. Yeah. But I think a tent that you stake out is going to be more durable in the wind anyway because it is staked out. You know, if a lot of these dome type tents or, you know, whatever you want to call them, where you just slap the pole freestanding. Yeah. yeah. Most people are going to stake down maybe four corners and call it good. You know, I think in most, unless they know that they're absolutely going to be in Mm -hmm. bad weather, maybe they're going to put out some guy lines and whatever, you know, you have guy lines that you have to stake out with the Hillebird. I see. You know. And which, you can add know, some. Which I, I don't. Think which it's a I good don't practice to always stake out your guy line. You know, on a mountain hunt like that. <laughs> I I kind of agree because I hear I've heard stories of guys getting woke up in the middle of the night with their tent pole slapping them in the face, and now they got to get up in the middle of a storm, and try to keep the tent from blowing away and get yeah. it tied down. You know, probably prepare for the worst and hope for the best type of a thing. Anyway, yeah, that's probably um, enough on the tents. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Someone had asked, uh, "Can't beat a Coleman pop-up tent in the mountains." <laughs> um, yeah, it's, there's some commenting about uh, a benefit of having a floorless teepee with a wood stove. That is a game changer. But as far as sheep hunting goes, and this was kind of a sheep question yeah you're just not going to have the stuff to burn you know like some lower country moose hunts or whatever you like if you got if you got a heat source most of the time unless it's really sloppy i'd i'd love to use like a floorless on a float trip i've never have but i think like a float hunt yeah with having that like a sawtooth yeah and having that stove and everything i think would be pretty pretty nice yeah you know it's uh for sure. Oh, there was no um, Kuyu, uh, rain gear, Kuyu Yukon, or Sitka Stormfront. They didn't mention Helly Hansen. Yeah, I was gonna say get whatever is on sale. I think so. Well, <laughs> or whatever. whatever I say I, whatever you want. I mean, I I've I worked Helly Hansen for a long time. I do have some Kuyu stuff now. Yeah, but I think I. It depends what I was using it for because I have tore my Kuyu. Yeah. I've ripped it, um, but you can't beat rubber. Yeah, in a in a lot of times too is you know if it's downpour rain the whole time that rubber is going to be pretty. Yeah, pretty and reliable. I you know I I find I did take a set of that Sitka Stormfront this year cheap hunting and a couple days in the rain hiking in I was just hiking in my skivvy you know stripped down to my underwear basically under my rain gear to hike in and it that part of it was more comfortable than. Rubber rain than Helly Hansen or that Grunden's Neptune stuff. I think I like a little better 
than the Heli Hansen. It's very similar. The Grundon stuff yeah. is better than Heli it's Hansen. It's very similar. It's like the Neptune or whatever. It's that lightweight kind of stretchy, stretchy. rubber. Kind of like an Impertech. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. It's yeah. very similar. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just say any kind of breathable rain gear is not 100% waterproof. And if you get into really, really nasty stuff, it will, um, it will start... There- it will eventually saturate. Now, most of the time, you can get away with using it. Yeah. But well, because you're going to get it. Sometimes you're going to get a day. You may be able to kind of get it dried out dried a little out, bit. Dried out, yeah. But there's a lot with, I think, rain gear especially. There's so much new stuff out there compared to what we're, oh, yeah. we used to have as well. Yeah. A lot of this stuff, you're just not going to know until you use it. And yeah. I think also it's going to depend on the person. I sweat like crazy. I mean, yeah, me too. I don't care if it's breathable. <laughs> it don't breathe when I'm yeah. wearing it. I'm wet regardless. Yeah. So whether it's it's rubber rain gear that you're sweating under or the breathable rain gear, it doesn't vent fast enough. Yeah, me either. Uh, the same way. So I do like what you're talking. Yeah. Strip down to the bare minimal so you keep from getting everything else wet. And and then you know, and it's it's a thing where you're gonna be hot while you're hiking, stop till you get till you like start getting a chill, get up yep. and I'll start hiking again. But uh yeah, I mean, I don't know, I can't do an accurate ac- no. an and accurate. I've, I've never used the Sitka stuff, so I don't know. I mean this could one thing that- I know, like it is freaking expensive. And if I just say, you know, if you've got enough laying around to shell out for what you want, you know, go go, go for hog it. wild for it. Yep. But you know that that Grundens or Heli Hansen Impertech is good solid rain gear, and you can afford to replace it because this stuff, if you use it hard, it's going to wear out. It doesn't matter if it's an eight hundred dollars set of rain yep. gear; you're going to wear it out if you use it hard. And that's kind of the whole point of getting it is yeah. so you can you use it. Yeah. But uh. It it is, and I will say the the Sitka Stormfront is probably like the stuff that I've been using as well, as far as space and weight. I do like that with the breathable stuff. It seems to yeah. be a lot more compact. Doesn't take up. It's not as heavy. Um, so take that for what it's worth. I guess it's it's. Uh, there's so many variables in this stuff. Oh yeah, no, you kidding. know, and I don't think. We're spoiled nowadays with the gear selection. I know when I first started cheap on you didn't have no, you didn't have too many choices. Get your camp trails packed. Yeah, you didn't have choices. Now it gets to be confusing and technical because there's so many choices out there. Yeah, and I would sit just like you said. If your budget allows, go for it. You know. Yeah, I mean, we're still doing this experiment in this Instagram live video. Is it working? It says I got a minute. I guess you can only do so long at a time. After it expires, I'll just hit it. Start and do it, it over. Again. <laughs> just a fiasco. But uh, let's see. All right, and we can maybe come back to one or two of these. Is it possible to make a living writing for traditional print magazines or online in the outdoor industry? If so, how does a guy get started? There's that's one not. To, there's that's one not to me. unpack. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of do. Um, man, I'd say yeah, it's possible, but it is really freaking hard, um, and it's not what everyone expects. 
you know, most of my income now is from, is, and that's just been in the last year. And I've been writing for writing and doing content for outdoor life for seven or eight years now. And it's just a constant battle. And I, you know, there's certain people that I think do very well. Sorry, I got to adjust this. Okay. Time out. Okay. There's a lot of people that, or maybe not a lot, but there's people that everyone sees and, uh, you know, the famous people, I guess, that, you know, do actually probably make 100% of their living from, but even, you know, or like guys like Fred Eichler, like he's an outfitter too. Yeah. People think that if, you know, someone has a TV show or this or that, like that, hope someone's writing them a half million dollar check. Well, it takes a lot of money to operate a TV show or even to get a TV show. So, oh yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. The initials doing it. So, you know, but I, you know, there's, there's a writer I know that he's a cool guy and he, he writes for several magazines, but I think he also teaches. I don't know. Just most of the guys I know, unless you get hired on as an editor for a magazine um, or something like that, you know, you're kind of piecemealing. Like, you know, even I do from time to time, I'll go back and work some construction or or do some stuff like that. I mean, I, I just, so I, I guess I don't know how to answer that. I'd say it's possible and I wouldn't want to like discourage anyone because, you know, by all means, if like that's your dream to do it and I'm, super lucky to even just be in the position I'm in. Yeah. Well, um, I would say, I would think, and this is just me talking. Um, I would think you'd have to really want to do it and enjoy doing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I would say start young because I think that that's going to increase your likelihood eventually. You know, that's like me and my photography, you know, I'd love to do that for a living, but yeah, and you have some phenomenal photography. But I'm, it's uh, I think it's a hard thing to get into, and that, I'm just speaking on the photography side of thing because there's yeah. so many people that do it. Yeah, and most of them aren't making a living. I mean, there yeah. there are some, yeah, and there's some, but there's a lot of really good photographers. Out I would, there. and I would say to a lot of people that you see, whether it's you know social media or whatever, put up the front. Like they put up an appearance that that's what they do for a living. For a living. So yeah. I, I think, A, I just have, you know, by all means, like if, if that's your dream, like don't, don't give up on it and work hard for it. But you have realistic expectations yeah. and, and realize it's not going to happen there overnight. There is very, very few people, I think, that make 100% of their living. And even the, a lot of the people that do make, make their living that's their job aren't getting paid a lot of money you may get you may get some good gear you know i i get you know i'm like very lucky with some of the gear i'm able to get um 
through the work I do, but I don't make a lot of money. I don't, I don't clear a ton of money. Yeah. No. Um, I, you know, I'm not rolling in it. I drive like a truck that's probably worth a thousand dollars. We were just talking about that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, literally, but anything I put in it is worth more than the truck. But, um, yeah. So, you know, have realistic expectations. And also I would say, you know, not to get too preachy, but make sure, you know, you're evaluate your own motivations. I think there's a lot of people out there that, that, I don't know if they just want to be famous or want to, I don't know, the way I've always, and I say this, you know, maybe there's a bunch of people out there saying I'm full of shit, but, um, (laughs) you know, I like to, you know, I do like producing the content and sharing, you know, the stuff I get to do, but I like doing it because it lets me do more of it. You know, it's, it's the activity that I like. Yeah. So much, not just the attention. Cause there's plenty of people out there that just like the attention that they, that they get, or they just want more attention, but saying, you know, I was putting it in as simple terms of, oh, you, you know, just get paid to hunt. It's not that simple. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing's for free. Yep. And, uh, yeah, just, I don't know, just, you know, make sure it's, if you want to pursue, you know, some sort of career or make a living writing or producing content, you know, I would definitely encourage people, but it's, it ain't, it might not be what you expect it to be. Yeah. And I, I don't know all, I don't know from experience, just from talking to you, Tyler, about some of it, you telling me some stuff, but it's, you don't clear a lot, but are you happy? I'm happy as shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that, that, that's a big thing. I've, I've did that in my life a little bit with, uh, you know, just with my, my day job. Um, getting to the point where it's it's better quality of life than making money because yeah. sometimes you know you can make all kinds of money, but it, if you're the 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 quality of life you have sucks. Yeah, what's the point? You yeah, know, it's seeing you know seeing you know if you know my dad ran you know still runs. Since he sold the business, he's still running it for the company he sold it to. But man, he used to be so, would be so stressed out just seeing, and a lot of business, you know, like contractors, it's just, oh, it's tough. And not say even my, you know, I get plenty of stressed out sometimes, but um, any job, you know, just try to pick something. and, And if, you know, hunting, sometimes it's, I'm not saying hunting's a drag. Sometimes, you know, like I got stuff I have to get done and it can be kind of a drag sometimes or feel like a job, but like I still wouldn't trade it right now. You know, it's not, I don't want to ever get to the point where it's like, well, I, that's, I won't, I don't guide sheep hunts if I guide at all, you know. That's kind of why I never got into guiding for that reason (laughs) was just that. I mean, I, some guys like it. Yeah. I just figured in. I figured that, you know, call me selfish, but I was like, you know, I want to go out and spend time out there. Not really, I shouldn't say helping somebody else, but I, it would just feel like a job to me. Yeah. Rather than actually going out and enjoying it, you know, or taking my kids hunting or doing anything like that, you know, that's, we're out there to have fun, enjoy it. I like to go out and see stuff. That's what got me into the photography thing mm-hmm. was I'd 
Yeah, hunting if, season's plus, over. Not for I, you if you go out there. And well, that's just pictures. it. And the stuff that you get to see doing that, it has it's opened up some doors with the, you know, just the, the figuring out you know animal movements and different you know habits that they do and just getting to sit there and watch, you know. Yeah. Whereas like hunting, you you do get that hunting, but, but I but I think the <laughs> just it's that much more time in yeah. the field. You yeah. Know? Well, and, and that reminds me, it was like, I saw some comment on, uh, <clears throat> it was Jeremy Rusink's video of this black tailed buck walking right oh, up the to him and I saw that. licking him. And, and someone was like, man, I'd feel bad shooting that buck. I'm like, well, honestly, if we're being honest here, I would have shot it before it ever came <laughs> that close. So I would have <laughs> never had that experience. <laughs> That's but uh, <laughs> um, but that, I guess that's my point. That's if you were hunting. If you weren't out there hunting and you're just photographing or whatever, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you yeah. would have had the time. It would have came up to you because I mean, oh you, yeah, you, if if you didn't, weren't going to shoot it because you're not blasting it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would have do did the same thing. Oh dear, you know. Yeah, or, you know some of those caribou pictures you got those, you know. Really cool. Yeah, like, a lot of times I would have. Yeah, you would have already <laughs> shot one by the. T- yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, you they're know. inside three hundred. Yep. Um. Let's see here. This one's a little different. Um. Off the sheep hunting. I'm a compound hunter that wants to get into traditional bow hunting. I have a recurve I mess around with from time to time, but I'm not sure it's able to kill a whitetail. Um. Maybe a forty-five pound draw weight. I know I can do it. Can do it, but I want it the best setup before I make the commitment. Um, and also asking about you know what bows, shafts, and broadheads a person should use to get going. Um, which I think is a pretty good question. A especially uh, you know I'm assuming you're talking about hunting whitetails. Um, is that what that's what you mentioned? Uh, a forty-five pound. Any average 45-pound recurve is plenty of bow to kill a whitetail. Like, yep. Um, and I would actually, you know, I would say that that's probably, you know, being used to shooting compounds, that 45 pounds is probably a good, to good, start with. A good one to start with really building your form. Even if you goofed around with it before, um, you know, it's... It, even now, I'm only shooting like a 53 pound boat, my draw length right now, you know, to, to really develop a consistent shot. A lot of people, I think, get overbowed and, and drop it because of that. Cause it, it is tough to manage yeah. when you're way overbowed. Yep. Um, who's the other guy? This is on the live feed. That's Matt Herkstroder. He's been on the podcast before. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm just a hillbilly. Yeah. This, uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I'd say, yeah, 40, 45 pound bow is, is going to be plenty for hunting whitetails. Um, I don't know. Bows for get, for getting going. I would say that if you already have one, that's that draw, you know, if you, if what you had is like your grandpa's 70 pound bow, I'd say you drop down. But if you're in that 40 to 50 pound range and you're shooting, you know, a heavier compound, that's probably a good area, a good bow to start with. Um, if you don't have one, 
you know, I typically send guys to, if they even make them or whatever is equivalent to those Samick Sages mm-hmm. for a starter bow. <coughs> well, you, I was, I was going to go back to one of those, you know, cause I was going to sh- start shooting my recurve again and just to start out relearning everything. Yeah. That's all I was going to shoot, you know? Yeah. Just to get started, to I don't care. And, and you can you can, you can hunt just fine with those Samics. I mean, that's what Frank killed his yep. bear with. Um, was like a you know forty five fifty pound, or was it fifty? No, it was like fifty pound Samic. But they're they're long story short, it's a cheap broadhead or cheap bow, cheap bow. You know, don't expect a high level of quality control with them. But it's a you can hunt with it, and it's a good bow to get started with, you know, because you can. They're not going to be nearly as smooth or forgiving as some of these high end bows. But you know, if you're just kind <clears> of <throat> testing the water with it, you don't really want you don't want to dump a thousand bucks into a bow that if before you know you're committed, you know. Yep, I I agree with that. I think people spend way too much money on getting started <laughs> with that stuff. Before they realize, I think people, I think especially with traditional, it'd be smart to go that route because when you do it and you realize how hard it is, you may change your mind, you know, not to discourage you from doing it, but it's a whole new ball game, you know? Oh yeah. And I'm not good at it. So, you know, (laughs) I mean, Tyler's the... Tyler's the, the the cat's meow oh, on that we're, one, but we're working on it. <laughs> but, um, but you got a lot more knowledge, you know, and, and of shooting good, you know, and and I think that's solid advice because who I, wants to spend a thousand dollars on a custom bow and not yeah, continue I mean, shooting it? You know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of totally. a bad investment. And really. I would say, and this was a kind of a. a train of thought in uh when i back when i was shooting service rifle competitively was a good shooter with mediocre equipment will always outshoot a bad shooter with the best equipment and so when you're starting there's there's a lot of things you got to learn um and Um, there's a lot, sorry, there's a lot of things you got to learn and you won't be able to get the benefit or realize the benefit of a high end bow initially until you like really develop shoot something a consi- cheap. Yeah. until you shoot something cheap and develop a consistent shot. Like, you know, like I tell, you know, Frank, you know, I was like, Tuning arrows. It doesn't do you damn bit of good to tune to bear shaft tune your arrows till you develop a consistent shot. Form, yeah. You know, and then <clears throat> and it, it's a journey, man. Like and then you change things and your draw length changes a little bit, and then you gotta hold to buy a whole new set of arrow, arrows. So <laughs> you gotta excuse me, my cough a little bit, but uh yeah, you you gotta take it one step at a time. So start with a uh, a more affordable you know, if you can find something used on eBay or, you know, just something in that 40 to 50 pound range for most guys will work. And, uh, there is getting to be more resources out there, um, to figure out how to do this correctly or, or effectively and save you a lot of time. Um, but yeah, you know, start with a light bow that's affordable, do some research. Um, 
shafts and broadheads, you know, to get started with, you know, you really get what you pay for as far as arrow shafting. But when you're starting, you know, just your, you're probably your average, decent mid-level arrow shafts, you know, yeah. that you're going to get. Them, those gold tip hunters come to my mind. It seems yeah. Like you, you're not going to. Obviously, spine's going to depend on the bow you're shooting, yeah, the poundage so, and all that stuff. So Yeah, and, and you can do some research and figure out, you know, the spine that you're probably going to want to shoot. But, you know, I wouldn't spend a ton of money right up front because you're going to end up, as you improve, you're going to end up changing things. Just get something that can shoot. And uh, broadheads, I don't know, I mean... I like those grizzly broadheads, wikis, cut. Th- there's there's a lot of good options out there that are affordable too, but that also plays into you know you want to develop all this other stuff before before you before you're, down that road, you're getting yeah. getting that far into it. Because um, you you know like tuning arrow tuning, you know some of these broadheads they won't fly where the hoot if your arrow's not tuned. Yep. But to get your arrow tuned, you know, so it's it it's it's an investment and effort and time. Yep. <laughs> for sure to really become well and you, any of those broadheads are going to kill a deer oh yeah i mean magnus the magnus stingers yep. you know those are those are good bro i've shot one through a moose i i wouldn't be i've actually thought about dialing my son in with some of them they're on his on his bow you know but no i think any of those any of them traditional style broadheads are going to be more than enough for a deer yeah and then someone asked here what was the uh what do I consider a high-end bow for trad? <laughs> you can really, I guess there's different. That's very that, phew, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of good bows out question. there. That's um, I guess your wood bows or metal bows, you know, you got, you know, wood bows, you're looking at different custom makers, you know, like, you know, the ones I shoot are Bear's Paw bows. Um, Neil Jacobson in Montana makes them, and they're, Really sweet shooting bows. His wood bows are fantastic. Um, Black Widow is probably the most well-known, you know, high-end. Yeah, <coughs> and been around a long time. Yeah, um, you know, Striker makes some nice bow, nice shooting bows. Um, Stalker stick yep. bows makes really nice bows. But I would say you're for a high-end, you're going to be paying around a thousand bucks. Yep. I would say for a base model, probably a thousand bucks. If you yeah. want fancy stuff, you're gonna it's gonna start adding up over that over yeah. the cost of a thousand dollars, probably. Yeah, and it. Uh, oh, what was I going to go on that? It, but if you, if you think about it, you know, some of these guys, so many guys buy a brand new compound setup completely every year. Yeah. I don't know too many well, of those guys, but they're apparently out there. No, well, and I've I've had this question asked me before. You know, people think that traditional archery is cheaper, and it's not necessarily cheaper when you start getting into custom bows because you'll probably spend more money. <coughs> um, at least if you're like me, I'd you know, I'd want the something fancy, yeah, and whatever, and. I mean, you could tie up a lot of money into into just the bow, and then you start getting into like the higher end arrows and the higher end broadheads, and you got a lot of money tied up into that. Oh you yeah, know, you know what I'm saying? It's not really cheaper just because it's a wood bow. Yeah, you know, people go, "Oh, it's just a wood bow; it's cheap." Well, it doesn't. It's not how it <laughs> how it usually works. 
or at least from what I've seen. Yeah, well, most, you know, it's like if you're buying a wood bow, you're buying the labor. Yeah, and if there are cheaper options, like you're you buy, said, but you're, I'm talking it, it, the high-end stuff. Yeah, you're buying the craftsmanship and the labor. If you're buying a metal bow, you're buying the the design and CNC time. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, the other side of that's metal bows. I, if you're shooting a metal bow, shoot ILF. Like, Speaking of that, and I don't want to change the subject, do you know anything about these Stalker ILF bows that he I, makes that are wood? I, I have not messed with one, so I, I can't tell, but a wood ILF bow seems like a pretty cool... Yeah, I agree. I And I the was, ILF is just, it's, it's you know, whatever lin or national limb fit, whatever, yeah. basically to where, you know, you buy ILF limbs, they will go on any ILF riser. It's just a standardized type of... Uh, but you can adjust... Tiller you can and poundage tiller, yeah. a little bit also, can't you? Yep. You can usually adjust the pound the poundage by like three pounds or so, and you can adjust the tiller. That's what intrigued me with that was the adjusting being able to adjust the tiller. Yeah, the the ILF, you know, being able to adjust your tiller um is is pretty nice. I think, you know, like you're you had been mentioning uh if you want to shoot switch or or experiment between split finger or three under <coughs> you can actually adjust your tiller to to just where it needs to be yeah because that's the thing with an all wood bow they have to tiller the limbs if you're going to shoot three under they should they should i shoot my <laughs> i mean you can you can shoot it and i've shot some of mine that way because i you know but i i never really knew uh I know that one you suggested me shooting three under that one time, and yeah, it did help my shooting, but I still pretty much sucked at it. So, <laughs> it, it you know that's why I was saying starting out with that cheap bow, starting over from ground zero, get good instruction. You know, yeah, it's we were, you know you it's like, uh, you, you know, <clears throat> in some ways it's nice being able to start from scratch because you don't have any bad habits yet. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. With if you're just starting out, and that's why I say I think you will, it will be worth you seeking out good instruction in the long run. Yeah, because you don't have any bad habits. Yeah, when and you I mean, have the bad habits, they're hard to break, and a lot of times you don't even know you have them. Yeah, like I, you know, I was talking to Tom Clum, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear down there, and I I sent him a video because I'm like, man, I want to know like. I feel like my shot is pretty good, but I'm working. There's these couple things that I want to tweak with, like something's just not right. And that's always humbling when, you know, it was like, well, you're doing this and this, and you're not actually, you know, I was drawn with my shoulder. I thought I was using back tension, but I wasn't, you know, so I'm in the process of changing my whole shot um, to shoot better. And any time, you know, it's mistakes that I had no idea I was even making. Well, and that's, I think that's super important. Because <laughs> like, like I said, that's kind of why I quit shooting traditional. You know, I want to get back into it, but I'm, yeah. I'm starting over. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I, I 
because you, I mean, Matt, you know, if you you didn't listen to you know some of the other podcasts, like make make your own, you've made your own uh, bows for quite a while. I, and I, I dove in, man. I I sold every all my compound stuff and just went straight traditional. But the resources weren't out there either, like they are now. Yeah, and are and that are coming out. Yeah, they're. I wish they were. Um, you know, it was like. I, I never got good at it because of that. I mean, I mean, I sp- I spent a lot of time trying to figure stuff out, and maybe I'm stupid when it comes to that. <laughs> but you know what I no, mean? It no, just- it's tough. If you don't know, you don't know. I mean, and well, Tom was saying, you know, this is my shot. He's like, I'm hesitant on having you change stuff because I. He said I had a very repeatable shot, but I'm like, that's not necessarily what I want. It's not proper. It's not pro like, you know. And I don't. I don't want to tear my shoulder up, and you know. So I want to get better because I know, you know. And when you change stuff, you're going to get inconsistent, especially when you're so ingrained in a shot process that you've been doing for years. <laughs> that you've been doing for years. Yeah. You know it. It can really screw you up. Um, to for a while to change, but I've noticed some of these changes, like when I do what i'm supposed to do and i'm just shooting on a blank bale for the most part right now just focusing on my shot sequence which is important i think you should probably maybe talk about that a little because <coughs> yeah i think even with a compound that's important you know whether you shoot traditional or compound I yeah think that's pretty important um, to do. shooting blank bale what i mean by that is just a target where you're shooting it you know a few feet not aiming at anything the point of this basically is to go through your entire entire shot cycle without having to worry about aiming. Mm-hmm. You know, I know for me, introducing a target to aim at screws with my mind somehow, and over like a sequence of shooting, my form and shot will slowly start to deteriorate. You know, and I'm working on that to, you know, keep mental control over myself. But, uh, it, I mean, it's it's just a factor that you put anybody out there and have them say, oh, you know, shoot at this target over here or just shoot at a blank wall. And if you shoot at the blank wall, you can much more intensely focus on the things you're doing and isolate parts of your shot. Yep. And, uh, I mean, well, I you think can- I'd shoot better if I do 90% of my practice on a blank bale than... Double the the practice out in the yard. Yeah, no, and I agree. And I used to never do that. Um, (laughs) Well, I didn't do it with my recurve, but I never even did that with my compound until until I started shooting that back tension release. Oh, yeah. And it forced me to do that because of figuring out that release. Yeah. And it took months to get where I felt comfortable with that release. And I've had a few people ask me questions about that thing, and I, I don't know. I mean, I know this was a traditional question, but that that shooting with back tension, most people don't do it. Oh, it's and it and is, I uh, you know, and I thought I was shooting with back tension. I was adding tension. Maybe I was adding it with my back, but I thought I was drawing and shooting with my back, and I wasn't. Because when I when Tom, you know, on the phone told me you know, a couple different drills to feel what it feels like and needs to feel like, I'm like, man, and it, like, 
you know, and granted, I probably picked it up pretty quick, but I, an entire couple days, I was pissed because I'm like, I cannot, I know what I need to do, but how can I not, how come I can't do it? Like make it engage, like it's make it. That's what I'm curious. I'm curious if. And I, and I, that's, that's, I talk like I'm assuming I'm doing it right now. You know, I just actually sent him another, you know, couple videos on my shot to see, and, and. They, Tom, and I think they're doing with the push archery um, podcast. They're there, but Tom basically they're putting together like it's like five hours of intense instructional video. And I think that's going to be awesome when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's what we need. I wish that's what we were talking about earlier. I wish that was out 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, next time you talk to Tom, uh, ask him. I'm curious if back tension with a compound feels the same as back tension with. It's a good question. With yeah. a with a uh, traditional bow, yeah. like the actual, you know, the feeling that you have, mm-hmm. the muscles you engage, are they are they the same or are they going to be slightly different? That's I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, that know. would be would be interesting. But uh, let's see, have you ever? Got any of those dull sheep with a recurve, or is it just not effective? Or have you ever went with a recurve? <laughs> no, I have not. Um, I guess effective is a relative term. Um, this next year, that's my plan, is to take take my recurve sheep hunting, because I've killed a dozen now. And I'm probably not going to get one, if we're being honest. You, you know, never know, man. But you, you can't go... If, the only way I know I will not get one is if there's a rifle with me. Or you're sitting here on this couch. Or I'm sitting on the couch. Um, it's just, I don't know, sheep hunting. For me nowadays, really getting within rifle range of a legal ram, if you have time and good weather, is non-issue. You know, getting inside 100 yards, or, you know, whether you want to call it, Getting inside 100 yards is exponentially harder than getting inside 200 yards. Yeah. Getting inside, getting under fit, you know, which I'm, I should be pretty good out to 50 yards when I'm ready to go. Um, But getting inside 50 yards is exponentially harder than, you know, it's just going to be hard. There's nothing easy about it. I think it's probably one of the, you know, I'd say... It's got to be one of the pinnacle of sheep hunting, of, of traditional, or you know, of yeah. traditional bow, bow hunting, and sheep yeah. hunting, or the pinnacle of sheep hunting, uh, yeah. however way you want to put it. Yeah, well, um, probably bow for bow hunting, traditional. <laughs> well, even with a compound, guys. Oh yeah, it's you know, I mean, it's traditional. I would say is yeah, it's going to be even harder. But I think you really got to be dialed, and yeah. you will be. You will be. I mean. It won't. If you can get close enough, you're gonna can, ki- you're if, gonna kill one. If I cannot shit my pants when yeah. I'm like, oh, this is actually happening, you know. If if I can just, you know, that's what I'm gonna have to work on my mental control and shoot under stress because it's gonna be. If I get to the point where I'm drawing back on a sheep, on you know, who knows where that oh, first arrow is gonna be go. awesome. <laughs> it'll definitely be awesome. You know, so ugh, yeah, who knows where that first arrow is gonna go? Um. <laughs> Hopefully right through the lung cavity there. <laughs> Hopefully, man. Um, let's see. When is camouflage really necessary? 
Almost never. never. <laughs> <laughs> Although I may wear some sheep hunting in case, you know, there, there, there's some circumstances where it may give you a couple more seconds. Yeah, I think it can, it can be helpful, <coughs> but I think it's overrated for yeah. what, a, I mean, I see guys that, my buddy that air taxis, he's like, he would tell me stories, guys jump off the plane. $3,000 worth of gear on, all matching, you know, and and uh, he could fly in to pick them up and they didn't kill a thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. It has a, I guess it has. You can a, buy gear, you, sometimes you can buy success. Well, yeah. But, you know, like, you can look like, I, I don't know how to put how to put it. I don't know a good way to put it. It's, uh, I think there are some situations where camo can help you. Yep. And if it makes you, if it makes you feel good, if it's you know, that confidence it, boost, you yeah, need, you go, you know? go for it. If you got the money, the blow, <laughs> I mean, I, I do wear camo. I'll, I'll say that I wear camo, but it may not all be matching. Like this year I had QU pants with a Sitka shirt and a, you know, a wool, I mean, it just depends. Whatever I feel like wearing at the time. I mean, yeah. and I do think bow hunting it gives you a little bit more of an edge, maybe more so than rifle. Yeah, and and I'm talking Alaska too. I don't know about whitetail hunting, and yeah, that might yeah, be a we're, little, that we're, might this be a, is all in the scope of that might be a little different, but Alaska. But you know, like you know, I may or may not wear some sheep hunting. All I know is. Seen a lot of guys in good, you know, and it, it, it depends. You know, sometimes your camo may blend in with this particular rock patch. Yep. But other times, I it as may a not human blend can at see all. you from a mile away. Yeah. You know, and we're talking being under fifty yards from these critters, they're going to pick you out instantly if you screw I, up. I think wind is more important than camo. Yeah, that's my opinion. Oh, yeah. But you know. Yeah, I mean, you look at, and I've heard guys say this before, all the old timers, they did it with flannel shirts and wool pants and all this stuff, and that's true, but I'm also like, I don't know, like I said, if it makes you feel better to wear camo, wear camo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if like like Tyler said, gives you a confidence boost. I mean, because that is important, like we were talking confidence yeah. in shooting your bow, confidence in shooting your rifle. I think it does have a mental aspect to it. Yeah. For sure. But I don't think it's a necessity. No. Um, how about this one? Is there a place for wood-stocked guns in the Alaska backcountry? I think. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with wood-stocked guns. You know, I have had a buddy miss a sheep because his woodstock swelled up on his rifle when really bad weather you know of course guys were using woodstock stuff for my grandpa was using woodstock rifles now however would i seek out a woodstock rifle for any of the stuff i'm doing probably me not. personally no yeah. i don't have any use for it you know if a guy just really likes and appreciates a woodstock you can, especially if it's bedded, you can do just, you'll do just fine. Yeah. They require a little more care and they're a little heavier. I've never used, I've never had a, only one time is my, 
my Remington 700, um, the stock did swell on it on a Sitka blacktail hunt. Yeah. And it was rained the whole week. Yeah. And the gun was wet the whole week. That was the and <laughs> and, and but I, I've carried that same rifle sheep hunting and and I was a little more well, we didn't get the same kind of rain, so it, it yeah. never became an issue. Um but I think that synthetic stock gun is probably a better option. I don't know. Yeah. And it's all t- <laughs> some guys, you know, think And they don't get beat up as easy. Yeah. I mean, especially sheep hunting. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, mean I mean how often you got your rifle in the rocks and all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean on a wood gun, a couple sheep hunts and you're gonna have dings and scratches and stuff all over it probably. Yeah. You know. Yeah. If um, you don't care and you want some character, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. What do you think's the best entry level rifle on the market today? I have no idea. For what, I wonder. You know, I guess we're assuming big game rifle, um, just or model. All I uh, all I can say, because I, I don't have the across the board experience to know, um, that uh, Winchester XPR, I've got a couple of them, and they're like a five hundred dollar rifle, like pretty entry level. And there's things on them. I mean, <laughs> they're just not. You're not getting what you're going to get with a thousand dollar rifle, as far yeah. as parts and all this stuff um you know stocks and what but those rifles in my experience have shot very well and been totally dependable i mean that one me and frank shot both our sheep with it last year he took it and shot his sheep with it this year my dad just took it down to prince of wales and shot a deer with it is that the six five six five yeah <clears throat> which we don't even you don't want to go down that road. Six, you don't. Want, that's why I brought it up a couple times. <laughs> yeah, that there's nothing wrong with that cartridge. Uh, people need to get over themselves. Um, but <laughs> let's see. Okay, here's a good one. Um, sleeping bags. Looking to upgrade and considering the Kafaru slick bag or Western mountaineering. Um, do you like the slick bag, and do you find the temperature rating is accurate and the synthetic is worth the weight in bulk? Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, that's what I've been using primarily lately, lately being the past few years, is the slick bag. And uh, I had one of the original slick bags, and the temperature rating was not super accurate, but they this the current generation of slick bags, they did have them like officially rated. And uh, it seems to be right on the money. I've got a 20-degree bag, and um, even sometimes when it's been colder than that, you know, I'll take a little one of those silk liners. Mm-hmm. And, man, I Put love that. Put it inside I, there. Yeah, I love that thing. And I myself don't have any Western Mountaineering bags. I'm assuming he's talk, talking about down. Yeah, and well, I do. I use a Western Mountaineering bag. I use the Kodiak. It's a zero-degree bag. And uh, I've been super happy with it. I know the argument synthetic down. Me personally, I have never used a synthetic bag. Um, me and Nick were talking about what this. What is wrong with you? What you not never using a synthetic bag? Yeah, sorry, I'm plugging I, my phone in. I just have never, you know, I I've had marmot down bags and 
Mountain Hardware down bags, and then I bought a Western Mountaineering bag, and I haven't changed from it. Now, my wife's used some synthetic yeah. bags, but they ain't, I would call them not high-quality synthetic bags either. Yeah. Um, like the Slick Bag, I think, is probably pretty high-quality bag. Yeah. If I was to buy a synthetic, that's probably the first one I would buy. Yeah. But I don't know. I've just never what had you, a, so I've never had an issue with my down bag. You never, you know, been so, you know, do you use like a Gore-Tex liner for it or no. anything like that? Well, oh. so I used uh, I bought a Mountain Hardware Bivy shell kind yeah. of thing for it that I thought, "Oh, I'll use this to, for waterproof." Like Yeah. kind of help waterproof it if you want to call it that. It was worse than not using the bag at all because the condensation in the bag, in the bag, soak your, it, it wouldn't breathe. It goes back to that breathable thing. Yeah, it didn't. That was supposed to be a breathable shell. Yeah, it wasn't breathable enough. And so I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have water trapped, moisture trapped between my bag. Huh? In your now, shell. Now I do get moisture going through my bag at night without the shell. And sometimes I'll wake up and there'll be a little bit on the surface of the bag. Yeah. On the exterior. But it dries right out on the exterior. Now, people will probably say the down is getting wet, and I'm sure it probably is. But I've never lost loft. I've never got cold. So I've just stuck with it, yeah. you know, and used it because of the weight. That's yeah. the big thing. But I, uh, and the bulk. Yeah. Probably bulk almost more so than the weight. you can pack those down bags well, down. I, that zero degree bag I've got, I mean, I can get that thing down this small. Yeah. You know, and... Like a football, he's basically... Yeah, yeah, it's... I don't know. I'd like to try a synthetic bag, because I can't... I feel like I can't speak, you know, 100%, because I've never used one. Now you got me feeling bad, (laughs) thinking the other way, because I'm like, ah, I love synthetic bags, and... My my biggest thing is, is, and I've only been around cheaper bags, I guess, like the Mountain Hardware is... I bought two Mountain Hardwares for my wife... And she doesn't use bags like I do. Yeah. She'll go on one hunt a year and literally in, in some camping trips and whatever. But those bags, two years and they're junk. Huh. They, they have, they've lost half their loft. And then she says she's cold in them. You know, they're warm in the beginning. Yeah. And that's been my biggest fear, I guess, why I haven't bought a synthetic bag. Because maybe I assume they're all that way. But, um... I mean, my Western Mountaineering bag I've been using for 15 years, hmm. you know, and it's, it looks like, and, well, Kafar is made in US too, but still is a Western Mountaineering, and I like that. Yeah. You know, so, I don't know. I, I, there's arguments on both sides there. Me and Nick were arguing about that one time. <laughs> we were talking a little bit about that, but. Yeah, I remember. He's he, like, I would never use a down bag, ever. Yeah. I hate them, you know. <laughs> I remember he. <laughs> had what did he he had some like the kuyu super it was like some kind of treated down yeah, jacket the waterproof stuff and we were on there you know it was ra- out rain and slightly he's like man this thing's a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> well i've had one of those jackets and i i'll agree i think it when it's new it probably works okay but it, it's that's definitely not like synthetic yeah cuz when it gets wet yeah, like I mean, it's like that, like the lost parka. Yeah, like, man, I've had, I've been put that thing on just sopping wet in the rain, and it's still like a 
an oven in there. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's like wearing a slick bag on your torso. Well, and that's something that I do take a little bit of extra care that some guys may not with my down bag. Mm-hmm. I'll either put it, you know, I have a stuff sack that I put it in. I use the Kafaru. Those stuff, little, yeah, their yeah. stuff stacks that they've got. And that thing is somewhat water resistant. But if I know it's really going to be wet, well, like last year, I was asking you about the muskeg pack. and Yeah. You know, because I didn't take a rain fly last year. I bought that pack, and I was like. This, you know, this this previous year. Yeah, this, this fall. just this last fall, you know, and I was like, just how like. How did you get a muskeg last year? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think mine showed up like a week or two after yours. But anyway, yeah. the um, I remember asking you, you know, about mm-hmm. rain fly because. With my old Kefaru pack, I use Rainfly. Yeah, and you were like, "I don't, I don't know. I quit carrying Rainflies or something yeah. like that." So I was just like, "Well, heck, he ain't been using it with his EMR. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take this thing and, and call it good." But my sleeping bag, I was a little worried about. Yeah, because I didn't know how the pack was gonna actually perform. Yeah, and I, I always just dry sack my well that's what i ended up doing i just put the sleeping bag in a dry sack yeah and i've used trash bags in the past because i usually have a couple of them too Mm -hmm. um but anyway that's how i've always kept my bag dry i've never it's never gotten wet yeah yeah so anyway i i'd say i don't know in my experience you can't go wrong with one of those slick bags they're i think they're worth a little bit head more weight and bulk um, they're probably not a ton heavier. No, they're not. I mean, they're a little bit more bulky, but you can climb in them with your pants soaking wet. And I do like that because I can't do that. I don't yeah, do that with mine. If you, you know, if you go the, if you go the, the my West, socks, I may, but if, my pants. If you I go won't. the Western Mountaineering route, just be aware that with down, you have to be a lot more careful with some of those things. I think. I mean, it's hard to beat down if you can keep it dry. Yeah. Well, and I, not to drag this, keep dragging that question on, but the down, I think also you see guys in the winter using down more for that reason, because it's not, you don't have the chance of getting wet. Oh yeah, I will sometimes too. You know, but I, I kind of, when I bought that bag too, I also looked at it like I didn't want to buy a bunch of sling bags. I guess I could have just bought a synthetic and called it good, but I I don't yeah. know. I would maybe I was a little snooty with the whole. Didn't want to go down the synthetic yeah. route. I don't know. Yeah, no. I, uh... I I don't change stuff very often unless I I either wear something out or you know I feel like there's a need and I just haven't had the need to go to a synthetic bag yet, so I haven't. Yeah. So that's that's kind of interesting. Learn something every day. <laughs> but, well, it boils down uh, anyway. to actually using them. I mean, I can't oh, yeah. speak for a synthetic like you can, and you can't speak for the down. Yeah. So it's, I think, use what works. I would say if you want to play it safe, probably buy a synthetic. And Yeah. And you don't want to have to deal with the care and everything else that goes with a down bag. Yeah. Um, this one's a little different. Um, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, I'm very interested in the knives you use for skinning and how you sharpen them. <coughs> Man, I'm just coughing up a storm. I'll, I'll start that. 
You want me to start that one? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> I just use a Havlon because I suck at sharpening. I just yeah. swap the blade out. Gentleman trapper. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I like you. Yeah. When you say skating, we're trapping season now. Fur skinning or any kind of like in at home in the shop prep. I like those Victorinox like seven dollar paring knives. The like three the, inch, the little ones, yeah. The Victorinox three inch paring knives are cheap. They come sharp. Um, I need to get a new ceramic actually, but I'll just use. I've got a steel sharpening rod and a ceramic rod, and man, that ceramic rod can keep those things. You can put a really good edge on those things. They're easy to sharpen. They don't hold the edge like some other knives. But they've got a nice, thin, flexible blade. Works, I don't know, man. It just works really well um, for a lot of tasks. Um, they're very light, too. Like, a lot of times I'll hold them like a pencil on the blade. So I have, like, really good control over the tip of the blade. Mm -hmm. um, skin and feet and real, like, delicate, delicate tasks stuff. like that. Um, so, I mean, those that's my favorite skin and knife. I mean... In situations where, like, we've got brown bears back to the dock hole, you know, skin hole brown bear with one of those, you know, with my chart, you know, my ceramic rod there. Um, I also, I've been, um, I've got a couple of those work sharp sharpeners. Um, actually, <laughs> i got a few of them. I got the, uh, you know, their little field sharpener. That's pretty handy. Is it a, like a V thing type thing or no, is it a little different than that? Well, they're, you know, and I guess start from the motorized version. It's one that has, you know, guided, you know, blade guides on a belt. And you can change out the belts from, from heavy grit to light grit. And uh, heavy grit to fine grit. And just put, you know, shaving edges on stuff on blades like that really fast. And then, uh, I don't know, for in the field stuff, they're, they're little field sharpener it has guides that you start your blade off on the right angle and it's got um a rough and a coarse and fine diamond stone and a ceramic and a strop so this you know one tiny little package you, know, you can you know you could take a dull knife and and if you work at it a little bit get that thing popping hairs pretty quick um so you know the vickies the vickies are really like um Havilons have their place too, though. I still always have one in my kill kit, um, primarily for cape for skin in the head and around the horns. Yeah, they do cheap work. They especially. work really well for that. Man, that super thin blade, it's so nice to be able to just, like work it up under the horn yep. so you're not leaving excess skin there. Yep. Because um, that's another peeve of mine, seeing guys come back with sheep horns with hair like Yeah, around, around the edge of the horn, them. yeah. No, I've I've just kind of used that Havilon here for quite a while now. I I've got other knives, but well, and I, I and I do carry every once in a while. I'll carry. I got one of those just Alaskan uh, caping knives, but yeah. it's a solid blade. Yeah, I carry one of those sometimes. But I'm just I'm not good at sharpening. I have a hardest time sharpening knives for some reason. Hmm. And I don't know. I just actually, I just got it the other day with a bunch of that trapping stuff I ordered. Um, have you ever used those like 
I don't know what they're called. I can't remember what it was called, but it's like a beaver knife, beaver skin and knife, and it's got the rounded oh, tip. Oh, like the old hickory beaver knives? Yeah. Well, Dexter makes oh, one Dexter of those. Oh, Dexter yeah. And I ended up buying one to try it, and I used it on that coyote. Yeah. And because uh, that thing had fat on it like that. Yeah. And Jeez. I was like, oh, I'm going to try this thing out. I was actually pretty impressed with it. Didn't um, ding too many holes in him? I There was a couple. And it was I also mean, the first thing I fleshed yeah. since a bear. I mean, in a bear, you, know, you can be a little more aggressive. Thicker hide, well, thicker hide stuff like beaver, you know, yeah. that, it, the, where it, there's just the way their fat structured and their hide, you know, it'll slide a little bit yep. more or some of that thin skin stuff. Yeah, man, don't, it just, doesn't take a lot. But no, I did actually pretty good on it. I was impressed with it. We'll see. I kind of actually bought it for doing bears. Um, We'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean- I don't know, but which, it's a knife I'll have to sharpen. Yeah, which I need to. Yeah, I feel bad. I <laughs> wasn't able to help you with that. Bear oh, that's all right. I mean, I can I can handle doing it. Yeah. It's just the fact that the I always easy way. Well, yeah, I always hear people <laughs> saying the easy way, you know. And I was like, I called Tyler and I said, "Hey, I got this bear. How about I you show me the easy way? Eh, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I think it and was. one other knife I will add. I I got one of those Benchmade. I think like Altitude. I think they're called the orange one. That's like a skeletonized. It was very very slender knife, and it's like the S ninety V or whatever steel, super super hard steel. Um, I do like that one, although it's not ideal for caping around horns and stuff. I still like those scalpel blades for that. But man, you know, cut up my whole sheep, you know multiple animals this year with just that knife with hardly any touch up. Have you had um any experience with those Taito knives? I haven't. Um I I hear they, all this stuff about them. It seems like they're just kind of handles for 60 XT blades basically. They I, are I could be they wrong. are but the one that the <clears throat> I've been around one. I don't own one. But um the thing that I didn't, the blade popped off on it all the time. Huh. All the time. Huh. I'm like, thought these things were supposed to be, you know, and, and it looks like just like my Havilon. And I've had that yeah. happen on my Havilon. I'm saying, yeah. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but um, I can probably only think of maybe two times it's ever happened with my Havilon knife. Huh. It happened five or six times skinning one bear. Oh, wow. And I was just kind of like, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they got a fix for it. Maybe that was an older one. I don't know. But I was just curious if you'd ever been around them. No, I haven't ever used one myself. Because so that's like, all it looks like is a skeletonized Havilon, really, is yeah. all it is. Yeah. Um, doesn't fold, but. Which is funny. Before Havilons ever came out, my buddy Steve Hollenbeck, he. Just turned, buy a. Buy a he uh, had a scalpel, scalpel. handle, yep. you know, and that's what we were, you know, he, that's the. The first sheep I remember caping with one of those, but I was like, changed my life. And then the next year, the Havilons <laughs> came out. Um, let's see. Best, he, I'd like to hear the best options for the average guy who shoots some coyotes and maybe a fox or bobcat and how to dry the hides. Just put them on a stretcher or salt them. Um, basically for a guy that wants to put them on the wall. Not really the fur market guy. Um, 
<laughs> I'd say either would work for tanning them, but you you know you do kind of need to. I think if you stretch it, it's going to look better. I think so too. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of stuff that some you know, I've seen guys salt. You know, a lot of these fur bearer pelts to send in for taxidermy tans, and they lose some size to them. Yeah, like they got to rehydrate them and stretch them well, back out. Well, I think they lose size, but they also lose a little bit of the uniformity that they that you can get when you got it on a stretcher. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I mean, because the ones that some I've seen some that are been salted. Yeah. Guys are just like, oh, I just salt it and send it off to the tannery. I'm going to hang it on the wall. Well, they get it back, and the thing is all kind of corkscrewed yeah yeah you know what i'm saying yeah and i think the stretcher will help that a lot yeah maybe not all of it but i think it will help help quite a bit yeah um so yeah i think i think either way my fur fur critter you know if you're talking bears and stuff like that obviously salt um although you can't air dry those just is a pain in the ass um stretcher's the way to go and you know you can there's resources online. I mean, with the whole Google machine, you can find profiles for stretchers and, and tutorials on, on how to put up for, yep. um, even just for, you know, even if you're just knocking the feet off and for a wall hanger, um, you can figure out how to do that, I think. Let's see. What are, um, discuss, please discuss footwear options for cream straw seat. <laughs> Cream crossings, I'm losing it. <laughs> Stream crossings, um, Crocs, River Trekkers, um, kayak shoes, plastic shell boots. Um, I know some guys will, because I mean, I take my Crocs sheep hunting. Obviously, I'm a sophisticated man, but <laughs> um, well, some they're guy, light. They're light. They are light. They don't weigh anything hardly. Some guys will just take off the boots. And pop the Crocs on and walk across. Um, I have been packing around a set of Neos River Trekkers for years, and I think they're worth it most of the time. If they're not worth it, I'll stash them. If I, they become not worth it anymore, I've used those. I've used Crocs, and I've also just went barefooted. And barefooted sucks. Yeah, <laughs> but I have did it or done that before. But those those uh, Neos. I don't bring them all the t- all the time because of the weight. Yeah, uh, they're not extremely heavy. They are compact. You know, they roll up flat. But my my complaint with those is they're not tall enough, and I don't have the tall ones. I just got the oh, knee high. Oh, gotcha. And and I'm not willing to carry the extra. Yeah, see, I got- extra weight unless they made a lighter weight version of them. Huh. Now I have used, and my brother does this with his Coflax. You're talking. He was talking yeah. about the plastic boots. He's got those, uh, now I, I wish I could remember what they were called, but uh, Barney's down in Anchorage sells them. They're, uh, it's almost like a rubber waiter. Not rubber, but like a, oh man, I wish oh, I could remember. Oh, uh, Wiggy's Glacier Socks. Glacier Socks. Yeah. And he loves them things, but that's what he'll do is he'll slip them liners out, put his feet in those Glacier Socks, put them inside that boot. And walk and across. walk across, but but they're light, they're small. They, See, that's a good thing because I and that was one thing. I was that's an bring advantage up, with that plastic boot because those glacier socks are also made to go over your boots, but they are not near as durable as the River Trekkers. Yeah, well, and I have a pair that's and I used to I used to try to do that. I had problems getting them over my boots though, um, 
so I kind of went away from it. But you're right; they're definitely not as durable. You walk, you poke a hole in them pretty easily, and yeah. And I, you know, I haven't priced them out, so I don't know how much how expensive they are. But it, you're not going to get the use out of them that you would out of the river trekkers. And I heard that they quit making the river trekkers. I don't know yeah, if that's know. true or not. I've got two haven't sets. Heard that. I mean, I've been using the same. I've I have a backup set, but I've been using the same set since 2010. And I only use them for sheep hunting, but I have walked several, you know, probably 15 miles in them. Well, that's the advantage to those, too, is you can walk in them. You know, you yeah. use those glacier socks, unless you're using the Coflac plastic boots. You know, you could walk in them that way, but if yeah. if you're putting them over your regular boot, yeah, you don't you, want you don't want to walk in them. You just want to get across and take them back yeah. off and, and to make them last. Exactly. So that is an advantage to those Neos for sure. You can just walk in them. So, yeah, if you really want to go lightweight, I think, you know, those Wiggies Glacier socks are the way to go. But the the River Trekkers do give you more, they're heavier, but they give you more flexibility. Um, trying to see what we should go with here. What are your optic strategies on different hunts like sheep or goat hunt, caribou hunt, bear hunt? Um, I think what they're talking about is like what what do you bring and how do you use it? I don't know. For me, it doesn't vary a heck of a lot. Um, if I'm going, I almost always have binos and a spotting scope. If it's like a a really out there extended hunt that I could see for a ways, you know. Bah. Sheep hunt, and I always have binos, and I pretty much exclusively go with, uh, I, I have 10 by 42s that I like, they're pretty ideal for sheep hunting, um, and then my spot and scope, um, you, some stuff like caribou hunt, if I was like going on a specific caribou hunt, I probably wouldn't take a spot and scope. Yeah, um, I agree. Bear hunting, yeah, like brown bear hunt. if you're going on a big brown bear hunt, like on the peninsula or something, you know, a spot and scope can be handy for looking over bears. So I don't know. My my optic strategy doesn't change that much, I guess, depending on, you know, if it's just, you know, a, a moose hunt that I'm going to shoot the first bull I see, you know, I'm, I'm not going to even take bother with a spot and scope because you can see paddle, you know, you can tell a bull plenty far yeah. enough. But if it's one where I've got to, you know, judge where he's 50 or not. Yep. And can see. So I think it really depends on the terrain even for some of these hunts. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree on that. When I first started sheep hunting, I didn't carry binos. I do now, but they also make better bino harnesses and it's yeah. just more comfortable to carry them. So I do now. Um, uh, something that I've been doing too the past probably four or five years is using a tripod adapter on my binos. I used to never do that. See, I still have not and gotten into that. I'll, I think, I think I've spotted more and I'm thinking bears. Yeah. I've spotted more bears 
using that type of a setup than if I was just hand holding them. Because I find myself when I'm hand holding binos to scan over stuff fast. Yeah. When I have it on a tripod, I take my time more. Yeah. Well, and, and, it's, and, just, and it's, it's not solid. moving. Well, know? yeah, and yeah. it's solid. So, but I have spotted more game that way. Yeah. And I, I, I used to have a, I don't know, a, it was like a Nikon or something tripod adapter. Mm-hmm. And then I think last, it was either last year or the year before I bought a Outdoorsman's. Yeah. With the quick connect, I bought the stud for my Swarovski's 10 by 42s mm-hmm. as well as what I'm using. Um, and I love it. It's small. That head is comp, that little tripod adapter is small and you can disconnect it. That's the other thing that I like. My old tripod adapter I had, it would thread into the binos, but there's no quick disconnect. So I couldn't take it off and slide it in my bino harness. I see. I had to unscrew that stupid little thing. Well, with that quick adapter, that, that stud on there, you can just leave the head on your, your, uh, tripod. And just disconnect them, slide them in your pouch, move on, do whatever you're going to do. Oh, nice. So that's what's nice. It's a little bit on the spendy side, but to me it was worth it. I think that thing was 50 or 60 bucks, but it was worth it. Hmm. It's well built, machined out of aluminum. Um, I don't know. But I'm kind of the same way with like what you're saying. Spotting scope, I will bring most of the time, but not always. Caribou hunting, probably not. Yeah. (laughs) Almost any situation. Now, if I f- do a fly out, maybe, where the possibility of maybe seeing bears and depending on what I'm hunting. Yeah. But I might bring it for that if if room and space allows or weight allows. Yeah. But there's been times like moose hunting, I've drug along a spotting scope and I've never even taken it out. Took, yeah. Taken it out. Exactly. It's just, yeah. And I can even, spot what I need with my binos and call it good. from like eight or 900 yards away, it's like, yeah, it's a big moose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, so, so that's. It's, uh, you know, I, it's tough, but I don't know. I think to get the most of just hunting in general up here, you, you ought to have a decent set of binos and a decent spotting scope. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, like ten by forty two is a pretty good go to. Go to, I think. You know, you could get by with eights, and you could get by with twelves just fine. But I think tens a pretty. You yeah, know. especially if you're only going to want to buy one pair. I, that's what I would say is get that. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you can afford multiple ones, I think I would like to. I'd like to try some bigger, some twelve by fifties or whatever. I don't know what configuration they make them in larger than that. Yeah. Is it a 12 by 50 or something? Oh, is there some 12 by 56s? Or 56, I, maybe. That's what Something I'm like that. I can't. It I, would be kind of cool to try it, but I can't I can't justify buying another pair just for that. Yeah. You know, if I did, I'd probably buy something less expensive to see yeah. if I like the field of view first, maybe. I'd buy maybe a mid-grade something. Yeah. But yeah. It, I don't know. Like I said, I like to keep things simple and you know, if I don't allow myself to have too many options, I just use what I have. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> here's another one. Uh, let's see. Do you have an entire gear list published anywhere? Specifically, I was wondering what type of puffy pants you'd recommend for a backpack style hunt. Um, no, I don't. <laughs> here's the deal with that. 
I usually throw my shit together like two days before I go, <laughs> and I'm scratching my head like till midnight the night before I got to go, hoping I didn't forget something. Um, no, I, do, I don't have a gear list published, and partly because I'm lazy and partly because it just changes so much. You know, some it's like some things never change, and I'm like pretty hard line on, but it's almost like it's a whole new gear list every time. Yeah, and I, I just you know I have buddies like Steve Hollenbeck, man, dude has everything down to like how many squirts of toothpaste he's got, you know, into a list, and some people function very well like that. I used to be I'm, that I'm way, like, but not anymore. I'm like, I think that would be really cool. It would work really well for me, but I have yet to do it. Yeah. So. I used to make lists, but I don't really do it anymore. And that's mostly because most of my gear hasn't changed anymore. I, f- I feel like I've got pretty much dialed what I want, and uh, I don't... Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, some things change. I mean, I'll change clothing and whatever, but I kind of know. I think if you're starting out, making a list is probably smart. Yeah. But over time, I mean, I've just gotten to where I I know what I need, and I put it in the pack. I'm kind of like you. Yeah. I mean, I used to be packed before sheep hunting. I'd be packed like three weeks in advance, man. I'd just, yeah, who has you time know, for that shit now? You know, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Heck, it's, it's literally a couple days. <laughs> You know, or it's yeah. left in there from the last hunt, and I yeah. just I just grab it and go, just and dump ho- it and out, go through it yeah, again, and hope, put it back hope, in. hope it's all in there, and just take off. You know, but you know, I I think having some organization too in your pack is helps that also yeah. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it it does. So maybe one of these days, I don't know. There's just so many little things that I think more important than a specific list is. Um, mentality is not the right word, but you know, like I'll go through all the different tasks I'm going to need to do and think, all right, what am I going to need to do this and that and that? Like, all right, what am I going to need for my clothing? Um, all the way from good weather, all the way through horrible weather. Right. And do I have enough? Do I have everything I'm going to need to get through that? Um, you know, what am I going to, this, some of this is like, you know, at the end, like, all right, am I not forgetting a spoon? Yeah. Or, you know, I'll, and I mean, when I was in high school playing football, I used to, I'd like, I'd pack, start at my feet, throw every, I had this old like army GI duffel bag that I'd, you know, on, ro- on road trips, yeah, on road games, you know, I'd th- start with my shoes, socks, boot, you know, uniform, everything, pads, everything all the way up to the top in there. And then I dump it all out and do it again. <laughs> um, just cause I, I, man, I, I have, I have still to this day have dreams that I'm going to go play a high school football <laughs> game. And I forgot, forgot something, something, you know, I was like my kids in hockey and nothing worse than getting to the rink and realize you're, they don't have their skates. Oh geez. You know, or something <laughs> like that. Cause I mean, or a stick, you know, it's like, uh, a stick is one thing because usually you can borrow one, but yeah, yeah. Well, I think that gear too, with a list, it's kind of like perfecting your shooting form, 
eventually you'll you'll you will perfect your gear list if you want to call it that but it'll be all kind of just mental you just know and you just kind of grab the stuff and that's kind of how i am i guess i already kind of know what i need i have you know down to how many game bags i need for sheep and all that kind of thing and and it just becomes it's a natural thing i don't really have to think about it too much anymore but i think starting out you should make a list yeah that'll help yeah that'll that'll help you develop um perfect your gear and and start weeding out stuff you don't need yeah because i mean when i i don't when i was getting really started into it i'd start making i'd make my sheep hunting list in like june Mm -hmm. and start chiseling away at it and stuff and and some of that stuff comes with experience you know yeah as you you do it more and you realize what you do and don't need and you have kids and stuff like that yeah (laughs) but i do think a lot of people bring more than they need Oh I yeah. Mean, do you absolutely. think that? I mean, I shit. I bring more than I need, you know. But I guess I have. I'm if, getting better. If it's, if it's I a, bring more than I need, it's usually food, though, because yeah, I've shorted I dump, myself on that I before. So much, oh, you know. And I I went, you know, like I had a few, you know, rough days not seeing rams I wanted. Then all of a sudden, boom, shot my ram, and I'm like, shit, I got like another. 11 days of food left in the backpack. You know, I kept all my expensive stuff and just like, you know, unpackaged, you know, took everything out of the plastic and, you know. Well, at least you don't feel bad for leaving food out there though. It's like. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, dump, might as well dump the weight. Yeah. Why why haul it? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, all the pro bars and stuff I dumped out there. Um, geez. That bear was eating good. Oh yeah. Or Wolverine. (laughs) Wolverine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I still haven't answered this guy's question. Um, what kind of puffy pants would you recommend? I'm not a big expert on puffy pants. I, uh, um, some guy, I'm going to hack all your accounts on the live chat. Yeah, you're full of shit. Um, Puffy pants. <laughs> Back on track. <laughs> this trying to multitask, you know, doing the interweb thing is not working out for me. Um, I myself, I, you know, I have one set of puffy pants. I think it's uh, they're marmot, mm-hmm. and I got them on sale for like sixty bucks or a hundred bucks at Frontier Outfitters. Um, <clears throat> funny story about Frank, who you met before. <laughs> we were. Uh, he had decided, this is before I even wore puffy pants, he decided he wanted a pair of puffy pants, you know, so he didn't freeze his ass off, which is way ahead of my time of thinking. He's way ahead of his time, you know, as far as I was concerned and thinking. And so we go to REI here in town, and he asked this chick, um, yeah, I'm looking for, you know, synthetic down pants or whatever however he said it you know and she's like what it's like yeah you know like synthetic not real down but like puffy pants she's like, well I, what do you want those for she's like, well, so i don't freeze my ass off when i'm up in the mountains and she said well we don't have anything like that sir and i'm like okay well i'll go find i'll look somewhere else and it's where like we turn around and walk off she's like well i don't know where you're gonna find it like she's having a bad day or something <laughs> <laughs> and uh that was about all that to that story <laughs> did he find some puffy pants oh yeah he went he went to beaver sports i think and got a set 
but oh, I just remember he's so mad. <laughs> this chick didn't even know what he's. It's like, well, it's kind of. I don't know where you're gonna find Danny. <laughs> it's kind of funny you say that because you go into some of these places that you would think, like REI, you'd think they'd hire people that actually have skied, hiked, climbed, did stuff that the store is related to. Yeah. And have a little bit of a knowledge at least. Oh, if you bad. ask a question, <laughs> you know bad. what I'm saying? It's like yeah. that and so many it irritates the all it just irritates me so bad when I go into places like that. And it's not a complicated question. No. It, like you're telling me you like mountaineering store don't yeah. have a single set of these. Well, um, all they do is they use their little clicker and scan stuff. That's what yeah, they do. They don't I mean Anyway, yeah, blah. but I I do use puffy pants. They're actually my backup pa- pants when I'm sheep hunting. Um, mostly just in case my other pants get. In case you crap your other pants. Well, <laughs> no, no, I've never never had that happen. But <laughs> uh, but I just I I do use them. I haven't. Uh, I guess probably three years ago I started using them glassing. Yeah, and um, I used them a lot this year actually glassing because we had wind and. And stuff, uh, I would say any puffy pant is going to be fine. It's just it's just an insulating layer, and I just yeah. use it as a extra, not necessarily a hunting pant because it's going to get shredded if you use it as a hunting. Well, pant. they're going to get shredded, and you are going to be sweating, sweating. Your balls yeah. off as yeah. soon as you do anything in them. Yeah, but mine, mine I kind of use. I'll wear them at camp. Yeah, I'll wear them glassing, and I bought them big enough to go over my. Yeah, yeah, my hunting clothes. You know, don't don't buy them small. Like you're gonna wear them as pajama pants or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, but I mean, I've even used. You know, like my wife has worn mine when we've went out, and she's been. It's been cold. Yeah, and her bag wasn't warm enough, and I would sleep in her bag, but I don't fit. You yeah, know, I would have traded her, but so I'd give her those puffy pants, and she'd put them on, and you know, but they are nice, and they're yeah. not. They're not heavy. They're not. They don't take up no room. Really. Yeah. I think mine, you know, my marmot ones, they're, I don't know what they weigh. They're super, super light, and they pack down quick. But the nice thing is they're a full, full completely full side zip. Like, you could do the old Michael <laughs> Jordan breakaway yeah. pants, you know, on them. But it's nice because with your boots, you know, and, and my primary use for them is, is gl- you stop the glass and it's cold. You know, you wear them around camp or whatever when it's cold, mm-hmm. but you know, you yank them out of your pack and throw them on so you can sit there for two or three hours in the in the wind. Yep. And I mean, me and Frank call them our between the puffy pants and the puffy jacket, our spacesuits. Yep. You know, you, you're not walking more than fifty yards in there before you're sweating. Yeah. But, if you're if you're stationary, that them are awesome to wear. I, I don't know. I've I've taken away some gear that I used to bring and just replaced all that gear with those puffy pants. Yeah. You know, basically I have my regular hunting pants, my puffy pants, rain pants. Yep. And That's... and I just layer them up as needed. If it's super cold and windy, I'll even throw my rain pants on yeah. over the top of that to to break the, the yeah. wind. I mean with and I I don't think I even brought long johns. Yeah, I don't. This year, I, don't bring I, I, them I think well, this is the first year because I always used to bring them, but I could never wear them. I would always just be burning up. Yep. And uh, so, with just my regular pants 
and puffy pants and rain pants, I mean, you can withstand some freaking cold yeah. weather yep. with just, you know, regular pants, puffy pants, and rain pants. I mean, it... I'm kind of the same way with the top. Yeah. You know, I, I usually, I like to wear a thin merino wool, like some kind of a base layer, yeah. if you want to call it that. And I have a puffy jacket and my rain jacket. Yeah. And that's it. I, I don't... I don't even, I used to wear a t-shirt. I still do, I guess, sometimes, but it's not a necessity. I, yeah. And that's just what I, what I wear all the time. If it's warm out, I just roll my sleeves up. Cause I know, think and, I, I, I think I, you know, I wear like a, I wear a merino and then I'll have a synthetic hoodie. Actually, this year I did because, use a synthetic hoodie. Because there's a lot of times when it's chilly and <laughs> just that temperature it's zone. kind of in between. Where, and you can still hike around in that hoodie and be, you know, move and stuff like that and be, it's not freezing or, or just burning up. Um, so. Uh, you got another hacker on there? Oh, yeah. It's the same guy. Have fun with no account. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'll just deal with that as it comes. Um anyway, what's what's next? No, one? that's man, I think that's Do you get anybody writing in on there on the screen? The big no, screen? Just Mr. Hacker, it looks like. Which I can't even see the time. Was there one we skipped over that you wanted to come back to, or did we answer that one? I think we did. I think you went in order, maybe. Yeah. There's a few more, but we probably should wrap this up. It's We're going on two and a half hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? When we get together, we always do long podcasts. No, there's nothing wrong with that, though. It's awesome. I love it. I don't mind. I didn't really have nothing going on tonight. I'm glad you wanted to do this tonight, not last night, because I was busy skinning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that it took me that long to do <laughs> yeah, a coyote, but it's coyote. like I didn't want to get all yeah, half, I just, half into it, and then you say, hey, you want to come over? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just took in 30 Martin and got this brown lynx, which if you were trapping up here in Alaska, do not trap lynx till Christmas. Yeah, fully agreed. You know, they're just, it, there's no point. They're brown. They're going to be brown. Even the big toms are brown till about Christmas. Yep. And they're not, it's not looking like they're going to be worth a lot this year anyway. Yeah. So it's just kind of a waste to kill them. Well, and the thing is, they're going to be around anyway. I mean, if you catch them now, they're not prime. If you just wait, they're still going to be around. Yeah. I mean, with the population coming up like it is, you're going to catch lynx. So... I agree. I, I, yeah, they're they're not going anywhere. I mean, I can, I can understand guys getting antsy, seeing all sort of tracks everywhere, wanting to set for them. But they're going to be here, man. It's going to be a good couple of years. Yep, for sure. So, you know, just be responsible out there. Yeah, yeah patience. I, I don't know. That's just that's something that always has kind of annoyed me that that they got to go the the go get mentality. When the, I don't know, with links especially, they're, uh, them links are going to be around. 
if there's food source there, they're going to be around on a high yeah. cycle. I mean, you're going to find lynx all over the place. Yeah. Like, you know, you might as well catch them when they're prime and you're going to get the most money mm-hmm. out of them that you can. Yeah. Especially in kind of a weak market. I mean, it's one thing if the market's super strong and they're taking like C grade cats. Yeah. But feel like C grade cats probably ain't going to sell this year. No. So well, they, even cats last year, I don't think sold for too much, did no, they? No, it was bad. You know, I kind of I took the year off a little bit last year, but I don't think it was very good. No, I don't think you missed much. You know, even this year, I think if a guy's got the prerogative and the freezer space, you know, hang on to him. Maybe you got to hit them while they're high. But if you can just you know get them dried and then fold them up, throw them in the freezer till they come back, they will eventually come back yeah. up. Yeah, but. uh yeah, I've, I've did that plenty, yeah, plenty of times, <laughs> and I, it's easy to do. I think too when you're kind of just hobby trapping because it's not like you depend on. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you just pulled 300 links. You know, I mean, you're. I mean, when you're catching 15 links or 20 links or something like that, yeah, you can kind of afford to do that and uh, sell them when the price is a little higher. Yeah, but I mean, where are you going to put 100 links? You know, if or yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> Buy a whole new it, freezer it, for your and all the expense you had. I mean, it's yeah. it, it's bad enough already. Just trying to make a little profit, you know. But I don't know. It's uh, it's something to do in the wintertime. That's how I look yeah. at it. More than anything, I mean, for the majority of of guys, it's yeah. just it's just something to do and keep busy, and that's fun. But yep, for sure, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. It's past my getting to be past my bedtime. So. Oh yeah, you got kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, thanks for stopping by and uh Yeah, it was fun. Anytime. Good, good as always to catch up. We got the couch in the Yeah, in the this is now, this is definitely so. more if we only did two and a half hours, we could probably do a lot more with <laughs> do this. Do another four hours <laughs> yeah. and, and that first podcast we did, it was long. I was we were just sitting in this wood chair here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, that's all right. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem, man. Good catching up with you. Yep, you too. All right. And uh, listeners, if I uh, happen to have any other questions still, uh, you can go ahead and email podcast at tundertalkak.com. And uh, as always, it helps if you can uh, leave us a good review on iTunes or whatever uh, platform you listen on. Thanks. <laughs>